is a ever-present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later. The Homestar Army proudly presents Trek West 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else we want to talk about. Trek West 5 is brought to you in part by RocketWebDesign.com, custom web design at template website prices. Designs by Dee.blogspot.com, your online home for all your digital scrapbooking needs. Need a home along the Wasatch Front? Contact Lisa DeBagere with Kirkham & Friends Real Estate. No one will work harder for your home. And thehomestarmy.com, blogging to the world since 2004. Your hosts for Trek West 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening, welcome to podcast movie special Serenity. I am Pete Nash, tech expert. And I am Joey. <laughs> you had to go with that, didn't I you? I had to put it in there. If a radio station says it, it has to be true. So, just a little background. I was on a, uh, a local radio station this week, hmm. KSL. Hmm. Um, I was interviewed, and I didn't give myself this title, but they gave me the title <laughs> within the story. They said, Pete Nash, tech expert, has this to say. <laughs> and then they used one sentence from your 10-minute interview. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but still, it was fun to do it, nonetheless. Um, and uh, They were like, we were really having a hard time finding any techie things that he was talking <laughs> about. For an expert, he didn't really say too much, so we had to mine the whole 10-minute interview. Yeah, it was weird. They just asked the one question, but I kept bringing up TrekQuest 5. <laughs> They're like, sir, please, we just need you to comment on bubblegum. We're, we're, we're going to have to cut that part, too. <laughs> Anyway, it was a fun experience, and you know, hey, I've you know been on the radio. That was that was new for me. That was fun. Okay, good. Um, I uh, oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh, my friend John Manson. Oh he, hi. You yeah. already heard. You <laughs> knew he was there, everyone. Yep. I just thought we should formally acknowledge his presence. And a formal uh, acknowledgement it has been. Thank you for you know for all the formality you guys have given me over the years. One of these days, you should just never introduce me. <laughs> just like ignore uh, you the entire podcast, even when you start talking, just like talk, talk over, over you. the top of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or just cut your mic at some point, like as you're talking, just like cut out a, a chunk of your sentence. I believe you've already done that. <laughs> yeah, that, cl clearly that was my fault. <laughs> Actually, you ended up coming through okay. I yeah. Think. Nah, I think there was enough. There's enough equipment in here that there's just kind of this. Uh, this sort of general um, ambiance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. We are all on the new microphones here tonight, so it should sound incredible. Like everybody's ears should just be like pouring out rainbows right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> I assume that that's what would happen. Okay. Hmm. Um, anyway, um, anything to announce? Anything we want to bring up? I've got I've got one thing. Okay. That's going to make John jealous. I think. Oh, the radio thing wasn't that? No, not oh, that. Okay. I assumed that you would just go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's cool. Uh -huh. yeah, nice. uh, we have a mutual friend, John. Uh, that, that will make him jealous. Says, <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Stephanie. I'll have to kill her. Okay, go ahead. She went to Comic-Con. Oh, right. I did know. Did you know about yes. this? Steph, Steph did, yeah. Yes. Um, I, she, she posted a 
picture on that's why she wasn't at the 14th of july yeah she specifically said so because she's usually a pretty stalwart every year yes she is um and so i've been meaning to talk to her did you actually see her in person i saw her anya's birthday party was last night and oh, i was yeah. over there for my physical therapy appointment so i just stuck around mm-hmm. and she and uh, christy showed up and we had a very awkward conversation oddly enough about whores of course yeah. <laughs> that, that came up with <laughs> me talking to two other women somehow i managed to bring that up i are they listeners? No. Oh. Did you bring <laughs> her audio report on Comic-Con? Uh, no, I didn't. But uh, when she told me, I was like, oh my gosh, how did you manage to get this? She's like, well, I went there and I pl- I was, you know, my cousin's wife. And I thought, well, that's a weird way to say that. <laughs> She's like, well, my, my cousin's wife just had a baby and so she had to stay home and so I got to go. Um, and apparently her cousin is a comic artist. I had no idea. So I said, hey, send me some links to mm. his sites because I assume he's you know, got his own work. So if she sent them to me, I'm going to forward them on to you as well because I would imagine you'd probably want to take a look at, look at them. Yeah. Well, now you have to post it on the Trek of Swipe website since our listeners have had to sit through that <laughs> conversation. <laughs> okay. Well, you're, you're right. I, I apologize to everyone out there. Well, were there any Comic-Con highlights that she said? or? Uh, yes. And oddly enough, it was the woman getting hit this. by a car. <laughs> she, uh, she, she went to the Firefly panel. <laughs> she saw Nathan Fillion, and oh. she's like, and so I said, "Is it just me, or is he putting on weight?" She's like, "Oh my gosh, he is so fat." <laughs> <laughs> she's like, "I don't know how." Like each season of Castle, he keeps getting fatter, and the girls bigger. he's going out with are getting skinnier. <laughs> I was like, "Well, welcome to Hollywood, I guess." It's, um, but uh, she's like. He has, like, he needs to get work done on his, on his, the bags under his eyes. And I was like, really? They can't be that bad. I mean, like, it doesn't look that bad. I'm like, compare them to mine, because I have pretty baggy eye, eyelids. Mm. And she's like, ten times worse, Pete. They are so bad. And I was like, wow. I, cheers to the, to the makeup people who are, you know, doing him up every week, and we don't notice the baggy eyelids. It's the Botox they inject before each recording. <laughs> So, like, does she know him from Castle, then? I think so. Uh, because she didn't really seem to... Because I, I mentioned, you know, Firefly and whatnot, and she was aware of it, but she was like, yeah, not interested. Hmm. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Apparently, your little uh, podcast isn't doing any good in the world. <laughs> yes. And we have some people who need to be removed from the podcast list. <laughs> they told me that at that party. <laughs> Oh, well. Oh, they, they couldn't email you back in the no. weeks and weeks and At, weeks that you've been sending it they out. They were just sort of like deflatedly like, oh, Pete, yeah, I keep meaning to say, could take us off that your email. I was like, oh, dang. <laughs> it's always the people in real life that are... <laughs> <laughs> the meanest. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, she said she went to a few other different things and she got to meet somebody, uh, a few different people. And uh, yeah, she said it was a blast. And uh, she's like, I'm hoping I can go next year. Yeah, I really should have gone 10 years ago. <laughs> when, you know, because... Well, you've got, you carry a lot of regret around. I, I really do. Like, very specific regret, too. <laughs> well, everybody knows what Comic-Con is now. Um, and I think, you know, when it was just filled with real, legitimate, like, uh, antisocial, nerdy kind of people, you know, my people... Uh, it would have been a lot more fun. Now it's just another party where I feel excluded. Yeah, it's a place where everybody's like, 
hey, I could probably market my stuff here. Let me try and get a booth. Because uh, uh, Steph actually mentioned that Will Ferrell ended up on a panel. And I was like, Will Ferrell? He's not doing any sci-fi stuff. And she's like, I know. It was like some weird movie. It just like crashed yeah. the party kind of thing. Well, that's that's the thing about Comic Con. It's it's. I mean, it used to be about comics. It kind of spread into sci-fi. Now it's now it's just a big entertainment event. Yeah, yeah. Where we encourage women to dress up in costumes. Yeah. Oh, we always encourage that. Oh, okay. It's socially acceptable for them to do it. <laughs> We're uh, okay. So I've got another email okay. to read. Though another well. And email. This is from uh, listener M. Oh. He says, Hey guys, not much to ramble on this week. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just say, Pete is awesome. Listener M. Really? That's it. I didn't even make this up. Oh my gosh. He's, we need to have an intervention with him because he's, (laughs) he's going nuts with adulation towards you. I know. Who knew? It's. I think it's crossing the line. Oh, you think it's stalker esque? Do you think? It's certainly no. getting uncomfortable for me. It's. It's. it's to never having been yeah. been praised. I'm not by saying this guy. it's stalker esque. I'm just like, hey, where's my love? Come on. <laughs> hey, you get it from Brainy Smurf, pal. You get. You yeah, the get whole drooplet thing. What's him? all that on? Uh, you'll never know. No, but uh, I know. So there's a Is that precedent. I have to listen to your podcast to know. Yes. <laughs> and you know that's never going to happen. So. Uh, no. Um, yeah, no, no, no. Brainy Smurf set a precedent. And so that's where it should go. Though anybody from now on who doesn't, like, just give me all sorts of, uh, you know. Praise and Praise honor. and, yeah, yeah. Then then that's that's wrong. That's incorrect. So um, <laughs> I was just thinking. I was thinking on my way over here. I'm like, I, I was thinking about. Uh, for some reason, I bet I'm going to say something really stupid and arrogant tonight that's going to make all of the Trek West 5 listeners despise me more than they probably do. <laughs> and that may have just been it. I don't know, John. They keep tuning into Pete and I week after week, and we're pretty arrogant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're, we're probably much worse than you. It might, well, yeah. It, well, it might be that, you know, like, oh, yeah, every once in a while that really, really humble guy comes on, <laughs> and it saves everything for me. But he's lost cause now, too, so maybe that's, yeah. I don't we'll know. We'll find so. out. We'll know. Yeah. We'll know. Yep. Okay. Okay, well, that's all I had to, to bring up, so I, I don't know. Do we have a nook? Uh, I think we do Facebook Find of the Week first. Okay. Uh, Facebook Find of the Week, I'm giving to Listener Fishhead. Uh, I, I think just by sheer quantity, it was <laughs> kind of a shoo-in for him this week. But I'm going with the Minecraft is just awesome video. Oh, good lord. Mm-hmm. What is it with you and Minecraft? Well, not only is it Minecraft, which is super cool, but it's a callback to that Discovery Channel commercial, which I always loved. The the Boom Diata. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was probably my favorite advertising campaign for anything ever. Yeah, it was. It was good. Um, and, and so they're, you know, they... they it was such a clear callback to what was a great campaign. And then plus it just had Minecraft in it, which is cool. I know, Pete, you don't care for the graphics. I didn't actually even see that. Because okay. it was it was posted up there. I was like, Minecraft? Ah, skip it. I've, I've got limited time here. I'm going to choose to, like, like I read the Babylon 5 stuff. <laughs> I didn't even get through all of that. I actually read that. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I guess Brandy's, uh, Brandy's Darkness. Yep. Congratulations, uh, listener Fishhead. 
for uh, continuously week after week, day after day, supplying our Facebook page with something. Isn't anything? Isn't Fishhead? Isn't he uh, the person who works with you? Yeah. And you haven't had like sat him down and said, "Hey, stop like surfing the net all the time looking no, for stuff." No, 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 <laughs> not at all. He keep it up, Fishhead. You were doing a great job. No, he's a sales guy anyway. So he's not, he's not hourly. I don't really care what he does with his time. Just bring in the contracts and bring content to uh, the, the Facebook page. Okay. That's his two responsibilities. He's doing a great job at both. Okay. Uh, he says, uh, Sup, dudes. Since I have a lot to say about the movie, I will limit my nook to a brief movie suggestion. Best in show. Nonetheless... I am thrilled about Battlestar Galactica. As I recall, Ron Moore's podcast commentaries are available on iTunes, but I believe they start at season two. The commentaries are uh, from the first season are only available in the DVDs, but everything beyond is on iTunes. Okay. And another amazing facet of the commentaries are that Ron Moore does them from his home. You will hear barking dogs and lawnmowers. And then the next week, Ron Moore will address the people who complained on the forum about the dogs barking, and he will say, you have to tough it out. These submissions are for tough podcasters only. <laughs> oh, what fun. So anyway, the dude who plays the Alliance research scientist that falls on his sword at the beginning of Serenity is actually a super funny actor who starred in the Christopher Guest comedies of the late 90s most notable in Best in Show. And so this week's Nook of Darkness, we highlight this amazing comedy, Best in Show. The concept was designed by Christopher Guest and Eugene Levy. All the scenes were completely improvised as a group of couples in, uh, engage on their private odysseys to arrive at the Philadelphia National Dog Show Convention. Christopher Hitchens, who is the scientist in Serenity, plays the counterpart to a couple of uh, who yuppily declares how they met at Starbucks. Quote, not the same Starbucks, but stores that were across the street from each other. <laughs> Close quote. All in all, the candid nature of the improv delivery is priceless. And all y'all will be happy to know that the movie lacks in profanity and vulgarity. Best in Show is a clean, intelligent, sarcastic adventure as recounted through a diverse group of true American dog show competitors. It is also one of the funniest movies ever. Sci-Fi 2, TV 10, Western 1. <laughs> now, I've seen Best in Show, and I don't remember it being free of profanity or vulgarity, nor would I consider it clean. It was funny, <laughs> I just remember a few scenes where I was like, wow. <laughs> you know, I haven't there seen couple, Best yeah. in Show. Uh, I've seen A Mighty Wind, which oh. is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. That was so funny. Have yeah. you seen that? Yeah, Mighty Wind is great. I actually prefer A Mighty Wind to Best in Show. That's interesting because I think I – don't, I, don't, I don't know which one I prefer, but I remember when A Mighty Wind came out – I remember people saying, uh, it's not quite as funny as the other ones that they've done. Waiting for Guffman. Yeah, Waiting waiting for Guffman, Tap. Spinal Tap, those, yeah. 
Um, Which I haven't seen Spinal Tap. Like the original <laughs> one. I've never seen. Oh, I love Spinal You're Tap. You're missing out. Oh, I love Spinal Tap. This one goes all this. the way up to 11. Yeah. <laughs> Probably just one of the most genuinely funny things I can think of having yeah, ever there seen. There it is. Actually, I, I have, have I have the DVD. I'm looking at it. Yeah, oh, you can see it right very now. cool. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually... Um, uh, and one thing I haven't done yet that I've been meaning to do is I believe my DVD copy of Spinal Tap is the three band members doing the audio commentary and they're doing the audio commentary as the as band the members as if it was a real documentary <laughs> nice. and they're and they're commenting on like how horrible of a job the director did and like showcasing their lives sort of thing two shows in one yeah yeah so um but no a mighty wind though i it seems like everybody uh like it kind of had a resurgence like people people kind of came back to it more than some of the other ones and it kind of, it's not quite as sarcastic as I would say, as some of the other ones. It, it actually kind of is a little bit more... I thought it kind of had a nice little story. It's kind yeah, of more feel-good. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's kind of in that direction. I think maybe that's why people were turned off, because when, when all these really sarcastic movies were made, that's when everyone was being really cynical, and I think... Looking back, I think we're kind of coming around in our type. So of you're saying humor. he was just ahead of the curve on on the culture change that was going to happen around cynicism. That's a good way to say he was out of touch with what people wanted. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, <laughs> oh, the way you turn those phrases, off, honestly, John, <laughs> very good. Uh, okay, well, thank you very much, Brainy. That was a good nook, um, Joey. What about no? John's John. Culture Corner. Thank you very much. Yes. Okay, uh, really quick, I want to do a minor one first because I thought of it right as uh, Brainy was talking. Because he was talking about the um, commentaries um, uh, for the Battlestar Galactica. Um, I don't know if you... I think I told you guys this. There's a site called Zarbin.com. Have I told you about this? You've, I think you've mentioned it before, to, at least to me. I don't right. know I probably haven't podcasts. said it. Like I probably haven't said it on air or anything, but... Um, Zarbin.com is, um, he, well, he's a guy, some guy is controlling it, and he has done a really phenomenal job of collecting commentaries to movies and TV shows. Okay. And, um, not like, he hosts a few of them, like if, uh, mostly fan commentaries, um, and so he finds them and catalogs them all, and I think he downloads every single one just in case their websites go away. Wow. Then he's like, oh, these, like, I get messages all the time from him that says, these people have gone away. I don't know where they are, but I'm hosting them on their site, on, on my site now. Just, you know, so you can, you have to go here now. But yeah, so uh, I'm I'm pretty certain if you don't want to go to iTunes, if you go to Zarbin.com, all the Battlestar Galactica stuff, okay, you know, will be there. And, and for example, there is a, um, there is a Trek West 5 tag. Really? On Zarbin for the Star Trek 5 commentary. Oh. That was done. What the? Yeah. Did you submit that? Um, I can't remember if I submitted it or if he found it, but I did notice it was there one time, and I can't remember if I did it or he did it. Wow. I, well, I, may, awesome have, I may have tipped off. But <laughs> yeah. So, so that's there. There may actually even be a comment on it. I think someone said, turn down the volume to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> was it your comment? It wasn't my comment. No, serious. <laughs> I'll have to, maybe I'll, I'll, let me see if I can find it. Well, after I say the the real one, which is probably going to be much quicker. And I'm ashamed to say this, but uh, Aaron Sorkin's Sports Night <laughs> is fast becoming one of my favorite shows. 
okay. Yeah, I actually like it way more than I thought I would. I think it's a lot easier to swallow, like, in, like, a half-hour, quote, sitcom. Because uh-huh. um, it's not very sitcom-y, and I, and I can see why a lot of people, including myself, were turned away when it was first on. Because I remember um, when it came out, um, I don't know if it was, like, a year later, around that time, I caught one episode, and I was just like, what is this? This is a sitcom? There aren't any jokes being told. <laughs> uh, because it is... It isn't very jokey. It is funny, but it's not very jokey. And I started watching it again. I kind of got into it a lot more than I thought I would. And I got to the episode that I saw 10 years ago when it was originally on. And I'm like, right, this is familiar. This is the episode I saw that I hated. Well, don't hate it anymore, you know. You get get it now, right? Yeah. I, I think everybody should watch Sorkin in the order that I watched Sorkin, which was... Well, actually, not the order, because I watched Studio 60 first which I think would be a mistake. I think you should watch West Wing first because I th- I think that kind of... The level of seriousness uh, it really builds a good foundation for your Sorkinism. Um, and then all the TV show ones probably come come later. And, you know, you're a little bit more familiar with the world, sort of, so to speak. So where would you put uh, A Few Good Men and The Social Network in, in that... I wouldn't put him in that. Oh, I think okay. he does such a – his movies are so different than his TV shows. I, I would agree know? with that. I mean there's there, there's such a different feel at least. I, I still haven't seen The Social Network. Mm-hmm. But A Few Good Men, I mean you, I, I would never have connected the guy who wrote A Few Good Men with the guy who wrote The West Wing. Yeah. Just as far as writing style goes, it, it's mm-hmm. it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, so let, let, I oh. wanted to ask you a question about this because we're uh-huh. watching Newsroom right now. Right. Would you put Newsroom same level, like like as far as like the other stuff of Sorkin's that you watched? Is Newsroom good? Uh. <laughs> and as a follow up to that, to give you a second to think, do you think that it might be because you can watch Sports Night so quickly that mm. you can build on things and there's not this delay of a week? Uh, yeah, that helps a whole lot. Newsroom, part of me says, um, okay, yeah, he, he's going back to the television thing because he has unfinished business there, um, and he can do it a lot more with Newsroom. Um, he had a lot of kind of, uh, limitations with Sports Night because in essence it is, they are kind of the same show, but Sports Night is limited to sports and Newsroom, you know, he can go more important places and it's it is a lot more about the news gathering, um, and which isn't really touched on very much in Sports Night. Uh, the the actual profession isn't as deep in in Sports Night. Um, it is more just kind of a funny workplace thing, but um, kind of outside ethical things usually. Not not like the nitty gritty of it. Like newsroom is a little bit more like that. Okay. Um, but then a part of me also says. You know, when I when I'm watching Sports Night and then watching Newsroom at the same time, I'm like, wow, he's just <laughs> he's just fallen back on it again. You know. <laughs> so is he kind of recycling some of his old stuff? Uh, I, I do see it a lot. In I mean, I I want to say both things. He's like taking it further, but he's also making it easier on himself. Because what I'm wondering is, and I know we all saw that uh, that little uh, video clip where it's like. Sorkin's lines throughout all mm-hmm. of the stuff that he's done. 
but I wonder if maybe he's not recycling, but he is just approaching the same topics Mm -hmm. and maybe in different ways. Like he's saying, okay, here's how I did it in West Wing. Here's how I'm going to do it in newsroom. And so I, I just, I'm, I felt a little bit bad that I might have been bad-mouthing Aaron Sorkin, considering the fact that I love so much of what he does. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I'd, I'd say he's a little bit... apologize to him. I'd say, I think it's fair to say he's a little bit formulaic, but it's a good formula. It's a formula that works, and there's nothing wrong with, with recognizing as a writer, people enjoy this. I should, I should hone in on this. I mean, it's Joseph Campbell all over again, right? Every writer who writes fantasy or science fiction now goes to Joseph Campbell here with a thousand faces to make sure that they understand the hero's journey before they start putting words on the page. And, and so I don't think a formula is necessarily a bad thing. He executes the formula well. I don't. I didn't care for having it shoved in my face. Yeah, sometimes he uses the exact same word, the exact same phrase, or like, like there's too many angels on the streets of heaven tonight. That one, it bugged me when it was just one time. Hearing mm-hmm. it several times in a row really bug, bugged me. <laughs> but uh, even my wife who doesn't watch our Facebook page really, doesn't listen to the podcast. We were watching the newsroom this past week. I think it was this week. It was when uh, Mac yep. was talking to... Be careful now. Don't give away too much of the nope. plot. I'm not I'm, giving away... I'm I don't behind. think this will give away any of the plot. Mac is talking to The Economist uh, and asking her, hey, I need you to just teach me a, e- the economic theory really quick. I, I know nothing about it. And, and like the whole dialogue that goes back and forth... It is almost exactly the same dialogue as when CJ is trying to get, I think it was Sam, to teach her about economics. Uh, no, it was oh. about uh, the census. Oh, you're right. That's what it was, the census. You're right. <laughs> In fact, my wife got that correct when she, when she pointed it out. She's like, that's like the same dialogue that he used when CJ was trying to get Sam to teach her about the census. And I was like, yeah, good job, honey. <laughs> oh, well, I look forward to this now because I actually I, you haven't I seen enjoyed that scene that. yet. I enjoyed that scene <laughs> from West Wing, so yeah. I'm sure I'll enjoy it here. One more thing about the newsroom, really quick. Um, I, I think you might if, if you've watched it. Yeah, I'm totally up to date on it. On oh, not newsroom. I'm sorry, Sports Night. I want to go back. I to watched Sports Night. Sports Night up until the episode where Josh Molina went hunting. And he comes back and he gives this big rant about <laughs> anti-hunting. And I just had – I think it was Brandon who told me, if you get to the he episode no. – Oh, that's right. He did say no. I don't know where I got this. Somebody told me, if you get to the episode where Josh Molina goes off about hunting mm-hmm. and you're not enjoying it by that point, stop watching because you're not going to enjoy it. And so I did. I stopped. And I haven't come back to it. Well, it's kind of funny because I – that was probably the most queasy – thing that i've seen so far because uh, it, it is kind of annoying and it's it, it's going to fly in the face of what i'm about to say i think um josh molina is less annoying in sports night than he is in west wing specifically because he is the like he's he's the office nerd really okay. is what he is uh and so he's a lot less annoying um it, it is a little bit annoying that he kind of gets the office uh <laughs> prom queen for some reason uh but you know that's fine whatever it's not that big a deal it's kind of a small office but yeah no i'm 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 enjoying it i'm almost done with season one there are only two seasons and it's on netflix right now so i'm watching it all right very cool john thank you very much for your culture corner you're welcome uh joey i'd like to see you top that well i don't know if i can top that but I'll, i'll bring my i'll bring my a game here 
Uh, I'm going to read for you guys The Rime of the Ancient Mariner by Samuel Coleridge. The whole thing? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But that is the, that is the, I'm not actually going to read it, but that is the culture corner of this week, specifically because it's mentioned or it's referenced in the movie Serenity. So this is, this is the, the poem where as a culture we get this sense that albatross, an albatross is a symbol of bad luck. But as Mal points out in the movie, everyone who interprets this poem that way wasn't paying a whole lot of attention because the albatross was actually a good sign. So the, the, the premise of, of the poem is that there's these people who get trapped in Antarctica. They're, they're on an on a ocean vessel, and they're trapped in the ice down in Antarctica. And then an albatross comes and leads them through the ice flows back to safety. But whenever the albatross is around, there's always mists and clouds, and they can't see very well. And one of the sailors decides... Hey, it's the albatross that's bringing the mist. And so he kills the albatross. And everybody's mad at him at first. They're like, hey, that albatross saved us. What, what's your problem, man? And, he, and But then the mists go away and the sun's there. And they're like, oh, well, okay. Well, maybe you're actually the hero of the hour. You know, good, good job. You killed the albatross. Well, pretty soon they get to a, a spot in the ocean where it's just dead calm. And there's no wind. There's no current. And they they just languish there. And it's because... They killed the albatross and, and the spirits of the other side basically were unhappy with them, for, not only for killing the albatross, but then for celebrating it uh, after it had saved them from the ice. Anyway, the, the, I think the premise, the big idea of the poem, aside from just being beautiful poetic language you know, from, from Samuel Coleridge, who was a great, amazing poet, um, I, I really think the, the premise behind it is to... Think about your actions and the, and the repercussions that they can have, and it's not always immediate. You know, don't don't just think, okay, what's going to happen immediately after I do this? But what could happen further down the road? What side effects could this create? How could this impact other people? Uh, I actually give it a thumbs up. I think it's a fun read. It's got a little bit of archaic English, kind of almost not quite Shakespearean, but I mean, it's fairly archaic usage of, of certain words. And for that, in and of itself, I think it's an interesting read. So wait, could it be interpreted that the albatross was actually bringing the harsh weather, but the harsh weather is needed to actually get them home? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's Hmm. the common interpretation. Hmm. Hmm. It was saving them from the languid sea, but they were just all so, you know. And the languishing could, I mean, it could be, I mean, you need to be weathered by certain things in order to move forward sort of thing. I think Pete's looking at you askance. No, no. Oh, okay. No, no. <laughs> I'm more askance at you for having brought it up in the first place, Joey. But couldn't they have just killed the guy that killed the albatross to have thrown him gods? overboard? Yeah. Well, the only Didn't problem with that is that try that? No, the the only problem with that is that the guy who is telling the whole story, the narrator, is the guy who killed the albatross. He's confessing. He's come back to shore. Oh, so they make it out alive. Yeah, they do. They make it out alive. Oh, okay. Well, I guess killing an albatross wasn't that bad then. And unfortunately, (laughs) the whole poem, he's trying to make himself sound good. (laughs) So we can only assume he did much more horrible things than (laughs) are in the poem. Oh, we won't elaborate on what they could be. It's a long list. Okay, well, that was pretty good, Joey. 
Um, Alright, let's go ahead and go into our movie special. Uh, we are going to be covering Serenity. And, uh, Joey, do you have a summary? No, I don't write summaries for movies. I felt like you. <laughs> we see the cast of Firefly again, only this time in a movie. That's good. <laughs> really good. Minus a couple. I, you know, I was telling you earlier tonight, Pete, uh, I actually forgot how fun of a movie this is. I, I hadn't seen it since it first came out on DVD, which has been a few years now. So I hadn't seen it in a while, and, and watching it, I enjoyed it. I, I think this is a very, very fun science fiction movie. I, do, I think it's very good. And I think it's enough science fiction to appease geeks. It's enough action-y to appease other people. Like, people who are non-science fiction, non-fantasy people can still watch this and get enjoyment from it yeah. out of it. Because I, I think there's some aspects of horror to this. I think there's a little bit of drama. There's you know plenty of action. Comedy. Well, the yes. the interesting thing... Um, okay, when I saw it, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but uh, I caught this movie on the last day, like the Thursday night, the 9.20, the final showing of when it was at the Dollar Theater. Okay. Uh, oh, wow. And so it, it, was, it was like... I remember I was like up against time because I'm like, I think I'm going to watch Serenity. I've heard good things. I haven't seen Firefly. And I think I'm going to watch Firefly first because that's the way I am. I have to watch that first to know what's going on, to go in just totally full and, and ready to go to watch Serenity. And so I barely finished the TV show Firefly like that afternoon. <laughs> and I caught the very final showing of when it was in theatrically released. And I saw it in the theater. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And the thought I, that occurred to me was, okay, this is, this is crazy because how could I possibly enjoy this movie without first watching the TV show and understanding all these characters first? And that's, that was my thought. I'm like, hey, it's a great movie, um, but you know, I, I feel in order to really watch it properly, you have to watch the TV show. And that's what I told everybody. You have to watch the TV show before you watch the movie to, to get to know all the characters. This last time I watched it, which actually honestly was... Um, like a month ago, I haven't watched it fresh, so I, I don't know like what I can say tonight. But I watched it up to the point where Wash is flying around any any lands toward a, toward sort of near the end, and I turned it off right before a certain event happened. <laughs> um, and I haven't gone back. I've been I've been afraid to go back. You know, it's like one of those things. Um, but when I watched it, I I pretended that I'd never seen Firefly, and I'm like, I think I'm gonna watch it like as if I was being introduced to all these characters the first time. And I remember thinking, you know, it's hard for me to put my, you know, to put, be put in the place of someone who hasn't seen sure. the show. Yeah. But I remember thinking... It's hard to fake. <laughs> yeah. This does an amazing job of introducing all the characters for the third time. Yeah. And, and interpersonal dynamics as well. Yeah. So yeah. This, my wife had not watched Firefly when we went to see mm -hmm. this movie. This was what made her want to watch Firefly. Because I had told her, you're going to love it. you got to watch Firefly. And she's just, no, it's science fiction. I don't like science fiction. We went and saw this movie with Curtis and Annie. And I think, Pete, you were there. And Brandon and a bunch of other people. And she came out of that going, okay, i got to watch this TV show now. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, and I've known a few other people who have watched the movie first. Really enjoyed it. Were able to follow along with it. Went back and watched the, the TV series. I did talk to one guy in my office, the guy you met the other day, Joey, and he's like, yeah, I really think they screwed up, you know, 
they had to go through and reintroduce everybody. It just really slowed down the movie. I was like, really? <laughs> I, I don't get that at all. I don't get that in the slightest. I, I felt like there were a couple things that reintroducing everything did make the movie not. I don't know if slow down is the right thing. It kind of made it kind of invalidated some of the series. So, for example, uh, one of my notes is as as Simon is there to rescue River, he's pretending to be this Alliance military guy. He gets a full rundown from that doctor of exactly what they've done to River. So the whole episode of Ariel doesn't make sense. Hmm. Like he goes in to get her brain scanned. And he's like, oh, they stripped her medulla oblongata. Well, the guy told him in the movie, that, which happened prior to them doing, going to Ariel, that they had stripped her medulla oblongata. I don't think it was that. It was something else. It was, it was some other brain thing. It wasn't medulla oblongata. Oh, you're right. It probably wasn't the medulla oblongata. Sorry. What part of the brain was it? It was the part that uh, you know is some sort of buffer. From yeah, feeling and sensing everybody. Nevertheless, but, he but, did know they cut into her brain, so it yes. shouldn't have been so. Yeah, surprised. the guy's like talking about the neural stripping that they did, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I, I can see why like a really hardcore fan might be like, see that just invalidated all of Ariel, and and could potentially go off on a tangent that no. way. I I I think the bigger if there is a problem with that scene because it is cool, um, seeing Simon so cool. It, he was kind of too cool for where he would kind have been of at action, that time. Action heroy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like in that scene where he's rescuing, River. where he's rescuing River, he he kind of it looks like he's utilizing all the skills he learned from Malcolm Reynolds, <laughs> <laughs> but he hasn't met the guy yet. Okay, that's a good point. That is a cool piece of technology, though. That you you know. Oh right. Stamps the stamp yes. down and the thing comes up. I love that. Some electronic pulse just fries well, it was, everybody's uh, brain. It's actually like a, isn't it just like the Gandalf staff toy? Like the you shall not pass Gandalf staff. <laughs> you know, yes, that that came through from Earth that was. Yes, it's, one of the still, it's still a thing that's known. Lord of the Rings is pretty big. One one of the first things I caught here in the movie is, uh, I have to admit that I'm wrong. They are quite clear at the beginning of the movie. This is one solar system. No way. The whole thing takes place in one solar system. Holy cow. What? Yes. No, because they, they specifically like say it. Planets. They say. Now I agree with they you. They say that's a thing, though. They say the, they call it the verse, and it's this one solar system with, I think they said dozens of planets and hundreds of habitable habitable moons. That's the what teacher, I was thinking of. Yeah. The teacher, the woman who's the the from Bones, she says it's all one solar system. That's right. That's what I was thinking of when, because so I, yeah, I saw, I I saw I, this like two months I, ago. I so. I contradicted you at that point, and I was I was clearly wrong. Okay, but you are going to go back and edit that and repost it. No, no, no. I, I'll leave it in there, but I will cut out my apology. Okay, fair enough. Um, okay, so yeah, so this is just a cool, a really cool solar system that we might find someday. That yeah. that That's could incredible. provide this adventure. Yes. Yeah. Well, I guess they had to terraform a number of the worlds to like get them to a, a place yeah. that they could be habitable, which is amazing in and of itself. Um, what I enjoyed is they talked about Earth that was, mm -hmm. and they said Earth that was got too full. We it couldn't sustain all of us, so we left. We went off out into the world. We fed, you know into the universe. We found this place. And, you know, we set up all of this, you know, whatever. 
do you think that's actually what happened, or do you think that's the Alliance's version <laughs> of, of what happened? Because, I mean, this is elementary school, as what Joey, I'm sure, would consider some form of propaganda yes. that they're indoctrinating the kids with. Um, what do you guys think? Do, is, do you think this might just be the story that the Alliance tells, or that there is something else about Earth that was that made these people leave? I actually, I've always chosen to believe that at some point in the series of Firefly, Earth that was would have made contact with these people, and Earth that was has, been, has continued on, and they're they're still evolving, they're still back there. There's people there, and we, you know, I, I, I again, I just totally constructed all of this framework in my own mind. There's absolutely <laughs> no basis for anything, but you know, in my mind, it's like, oh yeah, it could be very much like Asimov's Foundation, where you know, humanity had gone out, we had left Earth, but some of humanity had chosen to stay on Earth. And the people that had gone out had just forgotten. Like Earth had just – it was so far back in the past now, they had completely forgotten where our ancestral home was. And when they found it, it became a central part of political and and mercantile action because, oh, oh this is our home world. This, this all of a sudden means something to, to everybody. And I, I, think, I think that – I can safely say that's where they were going with it. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> Joey Smith can't be wrong about that. Okay. Uh, well, I say the opposite of that. Because um, I, I figure they've kind of established that there is no contact with Earth. It's it's not really an option. You you can't go to Earth. And not not because of a, a space, like a distance kind of thing, but just because... Um, they probably tell school kids like, "Oh, it got too full." Is their way of saying, "Well, it's too full of radiation," <laughs> uh, because you can't live there anymore. We had to leave because it's pretty much destroyed. Or it's too full of those bigots that we hated so much that we had to get away from, who you know wouldn't believe our political indoctrination. <laughs> or they're <laughs> space pirates. <laughs> I, I think you hit it right in the nose there, Pete, that this is clearly indoctrination. The, the, the line that the teacher says of, we're not telling people what to think. We're just trying to teach them how. Right. I mean, that is just so it's so corruptive to tell children, oh, you know what? You know, we're, we're, we're going to teach you how to think, but you're only thinking if you're doing what we say and you're in line and you're you're participating in things exactly the way we approve of. And just the way, it, so I, I don't know if that's supposed to be a a pseudo memory, like if that's a memory that River's having, or if it's just totally constructed dream. Because you know we know that part, at least partially, it's a dream. Yeah. But whether or not there's any basis in that's what she was taught, that's kind of creepy. Believable though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that, I attended that school. All right. Well, we already covered the rescue of River. Um, so I guess we can kind of move on to the operative. Uh, we, we didn't really mention how convenient it was that Lu River is absolutely lucid through the whole escape scene. I don't know. I, I kind of feel like she would be. Like, you know, she's like all over the place. And then the one, like, standard, the, the thing that she could hold on to, the, the, uh, the light in the storm, so to speak, 
she fixates on that, and that gets her through. Okay. I can believe that. And, and that's Simon for her, because if we listen to, you know, the the episodes, she was trying to contact right. uh, Simon to say, hey, I need help, you know, you know, sending these codes. Okay. That's fair. I was just saying we hadn't discussed it, whether or not there was any anything to that. The operative. So this guy, uh, I, it took me a while to realize where I've seen this guy recently. He was in the movie Salt. He was the federal agent in the Angelina Jolie action film Salt. Oh, I didn't see that movie. Good movie. I enjoyed it. I, I kind of like Salt. I, I saw it with uh, some other movie at a drive-in. Okay. And, and like I, I was all prepared to hate Salt and like the other movie. And I can't remember what the other movie was. I remember being disappointed. <laughs> uh, anyway, the operative is this very, very cool, take charge, and exudes confidence out of every pore of his body. But, you know, not in a uh, Gaston arrogant way. Uh, you know, it's from more quiet. And, yeah. Yeah. He's just quietly, as you put it, very confident and certain, sure about himself and everything that he is doing. Yeah. Um, which is important to his character for the real monster that he describes himself to be later on. Um, now, so Brandon had mentioned that he thought that Jubal early was a template for the operative, which I can see some parallels, but I think Jubal was way more disturbing. Crazy, crazy yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, this guy is just... He, <laughs> he's a believer. See, I can see where you would get a character from this. Like it's a it's a partial extension. Definitely a bad guy in Jubal and in the operative, but the operative is way more mentally stable. Yeah. Than than Jubal early was. I'll say I I like the operative a lot more. I wasn't here last week when you talked about Jubal, and. I apparently, you know, one of those things that's weird, I'm like totally alone in this. I don't like Jubal at all. <laughs> I, I don't like him. Um, and I guess I can kind of see why, you know, because he is creepy, is he is fascinating. Everyone has their little, um, uh, I, I don't know. Like, I'm usually not the guy who's like, oh, I was turned off by that. Like, that, that went too far. Usually I'm not that guy. But with Jubal, it, it was actually to a point where I'm like, no, not enjoying this. And that is for me. And I'm never the guy to say that, but I am with him. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the operative talks about the doctor's mistake. Yep. Um, his sin. His sin. And uh, how he's planning. He is going to correct it for the doctor. Um, he's going to you know, be that gracious. And uh, helps the, the doctor fall on his sword, so to speak. What's so creepy about this is as he's talking to the woman, to the secretary there, and he's got the sword, he's completely, as though it's totally normal, there's nothing weird going on here, talking to her, he falls on the sword, and then takes the time to look over to him and say, this is a good death. As though, I think he truly believes that he is comforting this doctor who's dying. <laughs> How screwed up is that? <laughs> Am I the only one that thinks that that's like a really messed up thing to say to I somebody? I didn't think killing? it was all that messed up. 
Uh, Joey's like, yeah, hey, no, hey, I am not from Provo. Orem, sorry, I am not from Orem. I am from Glen Rock, Wyoming, <laughs> Utah County. Well, yeah, because because Joey would never, never bother to comfort someone he kills. <laughs> he's like, oh, no, no, that's he's going the extra mile there. Well, you know, yeah, he, he he went out of his way to make this guy feel better about his death. <laughs> oh man. Uh, anyway, he follows that up with another line. We're making a better world. Mm-hmm. Now, it's this thing that I... This is the thing that the operative truly, I think, believes in. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is his whole dominating uh, psyche. That everything that he does is truly becoming or helping to make a better world for all of society. That if he can get, you know... If he can do enough of what he's supposed to be doing, he will help make the place better. Yeah. Um, which is, in my opinion, Satan's lie. You know, I, I definitely think that that's, that's a lie. I don't think it's true. Uh, that idea that you can control everyone and make them become better. I just don't, I don't believe that. People should have to choose to want to become better sure and and be whatever it is you want them to be but can't you i mean isn't there any room at all for admiration for this guy in in his stance of you know what i believe this thing and i'm doing everything i can even though i know i'm not going to be able to participate in this better world that's created because the things that i had to do to make it happen exclude me from it but i believe in it so strongly that i'm still going to Conviction to a belief is admirable. The belief itself may not actually be admirable. The the fact that you can stick to something well enough to, you know, go whatever, you know, distance you need to, even in the face of what everybody else considers to be vile or immoral. I, I think the operative is a very interesting character. It's one that we haven't seen in that, I mean, because most... Okay, uh, like on the surface, uh, you know, the mustache-twirling villain who knows he's evil, (laughs) that's like something that doesn't happen, you know, at all. Um, The next level of that is the person who thinks he's doing good, and so he thinks he's a good person. I think the operative is a level above that that we never see someone who's like, okay, I'm doing good, but I do acknowledge that I'm an evil person. No one says that they're an evil person. Even evil people don't say that they're an evil person. And I do find that very fascinating as a character. I don't subscribe to finding virtue in someone who, you know, keeps to their convictions. For me, if their convictions are wrong, I don't find anything good in them. I don't care what your beliefs are. If your beliefs are wrong, I'm going to find fault with you. (laughs) And I'm not going to... uh, I mean, I, I suppose I can have a slight amount of respect for the conviction, but that's the 1%, not the 99 for me. Conviction in the face of ignorance is probably bad. Right. I, I think that's, that's, that's uh, I should take away the probably, is bad. <laughs> right. I'll definitively make that statement. Right. I mean, I can, I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. I can, I can give the respect, but I won't give that much respect. It's not a large factor on where I divvy out my respect to. 
I, you know, I look at the operative as, and pardon me for my my nerd tangent here, but uh, I view the operative as the ultimate expression of the Dungeons and Dragons alignment: chaotic good. <laughs> the end justify the means. It doesn't matter how evil or wrong the means are. Really, you would put him as chaotic. I would good. put him as chaotic good. I would put Mal as chaotic good. <laughs> I would put that other guy as chaotic what neutral? Neutral. Yeah. Uh, because he's so extreme it's kind of weird to throw him into neutral but I mean I've gotten myself into plenty of trouble having discussions about alignment <laughs> from the Dungeons and Dragons uh, 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 world so I'm, I'm going to back away from this and you can just have whatever you want to say about that, <laughs> that, 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 that was it it was just to say you know, he, he, to him the means are worthwhile and therefore anything I have to do to get to those means is completely justified. I, I would agree with you that I, I think Mal is also chaotic good. And I think the difference between them is what is the thing that they consider the good that they're pursuing. We're more comfortable with Mal and the choices that he makes because the good that he's pursuing is protecting his family unit that he's created. Whereas the good that the operative is pursuing is despotism after a fashion or at least absolute control so more maybe more of a fascist kind of system and we're more comfortable with mal doing killing as many people as he has to to defend because how many alliance soldiers does mal kill in this movie by pulling the reapers in after him sorry for jumping ahead but hopefully everyone's actually seen the movie what? <laughs> i only saw half why well, didn't believe this happened you know, how many Alliance soldiers can we put on Mal's hands? Because he's protecting his family unit, we're okay with that. Because we believe in his good, and we don't believe in the operative's good, I think that makes us more comfortable with what Mal has chosen to do. Uh, I don't think that they're actually that different. I, uh, I, I, this is tough. This is a tough philosophical debate. It's different if Mal brings these people to the, you know, to the about, position that they're in. How about this scene where Mal just shoots the guy on the planet that's happening right now? Oh yeah, the guy who is getting eaten by the about to be eaten. By I, the I think that was a mercy. They, I, I totally think that's merciful. Okay, merciful what about act. the act before that where he pushes him off? The, and that was going to yeah. be my second example was he because he's defending River and and Jane and Zoe and himself. As an audience, we're okay with it to some extent. I don't think there's a whole lot of people who walked out of this movie squeamish about that scene. Yes, it's unfortunate that he was put in the situation where he had to make that decision. But we're okay with the decision that he made because uh, we're okay with what he was fighting for. I, 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 can, I can see where you because it was for his immediate greater good of the people he was with. And because we love the people that he's with. We love mm -hmm. those characters. But, but as Zoe points out, you could have dropped the, the loot. Made <laughs> he, room for him then. He sure didn't, though. No. No. And uh, it's... That, and and, and I, think, I think you're arguing my point for me there. No, you jumped ahead before I could get oh. to my point. <laughs> I've forgotten what my point is now anyway, but I'm just going to level that at you. Good work, Joey. <laughs> Uh, I, I think if, if Mal has to pull the trigger on each one of them, 
Yes. The deaths of all of those Alliance soldiers are on his head. But Mal didn't make those Alliance soldiers get onto those ships before the Reavers ever flew towards Mr. Universe's planet. You, you, you can't take away their responsibility in choosing to be a part of the Alliance. Okay, so we we shouldn't feel bad, or we should ha we should have that same attitude. Maybe you're not saying we shouldn't feel bad, but we should have that same feeling about the death of Shepard Book and all of Mal's friends because they all chose to harbor a known criminal, time after time, and therefore when they get the when the law puts their foot on their throat, we shouldn't feel any different about that scenario because they chose to harbor Mal and put themselves at danger. Logically, someone could absolutely make that argument. Emotionally, no one who is a fan of Malcolm Reynolds and the crew of Firefly is ever going to agree to that and say, right. yeah, that's right, that Shepherd book and Haven, they really got what was coming to them. <laughs> you know, no one and, would and, and, and that is exactly my point. That is exactly the point I'm getting at. Because of, of who, you know, we're happy with what he's defending... We're okay with whatever extent he goes to to defend it. Brainy's going to have uh, another... He's going to ask the question in a little different way. Okay. We'll, we'll save that to okay. that Sounds comment, good. but that's good. John, way to pull that up really, really fast. <laughs> that, was, that was cool. Um, does that thing have Netflix on it? Yeah, the iPad has Netflix on it. Oh, that's cool. Nice. So the operative, he makes a comment. Love is more dangerous than madness. How do you feel about that, Pete? Do you, would you agree? I should ask first. Love have you ever been in love? Lo <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm going on a date tomorrow. So, so not yet, yeah, but I'm, maybe I'm maybe next week. I'm we can... at least like at lust right now because I've, I've seen the girl before and she was pretty cute. So, you know. Uh, which, by the way, send in uh, date ideas to uh, trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. If this goes well tomorrow, uh, I'll need more ideas to... You know, for next time entertaining this woman um i think that it is love seems a more galvanizing um influence madness just seems uh, love focuses madness just in my scatters mind, yeah kind of seems like you're all over the place like the joker you know in in the dark night he's just he's like as he describes he's He's like the dog that's barking and chasing after a, a, a car, but if he caught it, he wouldn't know what to do with it. But isn't Love the, focuses in. Isn't, it, isn't the unpredictability of madness part of what makes it so dangerous? I think it's scarier. Cause for me, at least, because it's unknown. I don't know. Okay. I don't really see a difference at all. Between love and madness, they're I, pretty much the same thing. I've used them the same <laughs> interchangeably throughout my life, and I do say I, I I would say that all the talk of Joker being an agent of chaos is just him talking because he is the most calculating and driven person in that movie. Seems like he went to a lot of effort to set certain things up. Yes, agreeable. Agreed. Agreed. Sorry. Um, okay, so we then fast forward to Firefly, the, the, the crew, the, so the, the, the title, the, so we start off with the title coming in and it has, in my opinion, very good visual design to the movie title here with kind of the smoky thing and the, and the, and the highlights of the, 
the way they portray the word serenity and then as it backs away from the logo it fades into being the ship and from so from the title screen up until um I, yeah i didn't i didn't write it down but for for quite a while i don't know if you guys noticed it's a continuous shot mm-hmm. yes we go from from the title screen out away from the ship and then down into the ship, follow Mal around and meet pretty much everyone who's left on the crew of, of Serenity in one continuous shot. I, I thought that was brilliantly done. And the director of photography for this movie, whose name was... Carl Reiner? No, it was not Carl Reiner. I don't know. He's just a guy who's been in movies, so I assumed it was him. Um, I don't know. I, I'll, have, I'll have it later where I... Where I Mention it, but I think the guy deserves a lot of credit. Very, very beautifully done. You know, because it, it's not just that it's a continuous shot, but the way he focuses, the way he keeps the camera tight on people, even though we move from person to person, the camera is always tight on a person. It gives you this this great claustrophobic feel of what it's probably like to be in a spaceship out there in space, nothing between you and the great black, but you know that that thin wall of metal. I just think he does a very good job of introducing people to the reality of the crew of Serenity's life day in and day out without words. Just in the way he chooses to shoot the scene, how he pans, how he focuses, all, all the all the elements come together there to make this just such a, a great introduction to each of these characters and and life there, uh, you know, there on the ship Serenity. Um... Oh God, oh God, we're all going to die. <laughs> Define interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, what a great line. It's just like so deadpan, you know, delivered. I, I like that it ends in a question mark. He's like, define interesting. Oh God, oh God, we're all going to die? <laughs> Is that interesting enough for you? Um, anyway, so they're they're going down to this planet. I don't remember what name they mentioned. Um, the it was um but they're they're headed down and they're going in to do a bank job they're they're going to steal from these people who are a private security firm yeah private security so it's totally okay not stealing from the alliance and it's it's a victimless crime <laughs> it's okay everyone that we're stealing um Anyway, they get there, they take River with them, which is a first. Yep. And the reason is because she reads people, and so she's going to help them. But they're going to have hostages, and so it'll be great to have a, a psychic reader there to help them control the situation. Um, and she does. She manages to help point out where the guy who's trying to be a hero. Yeah. Um, I love her goggles, by the way. When she's on the mule, she's wearing these huge goggles. Just hilarious. Uh, Anyway, so they get down there, and uh, they're stealing everything. Mal's having a very, you know, calm conversation with the guy. Look, if I shoot you in the leg, it'll be believable. (laughs) You'll end up pretty fine. You'll be fine. Um, And River reads that there are... She feels the Reavers coming. Reavers. Yeah. And so... By the way, here, here, cinematographer Jack Green is Jack his name. Green. Uh, because I, the, the note is, 
again at, with River as she's doing her psychic reading of people. Again, he does just some great work with the camera to give us a sense of kind of the tipsy-turvy world that River lives in. I mean, it almost kind of makes you motion sick the way he plays with the perspective and the angle of the camera as she's reading different people. Um, I, I missed a couple of quotes that I wanted to share. Uh, as Simon says to her when they're leaving, it's okay to leave them to die. <laughs> Which is, <laughs> hey, I, I'd want a, a brother who would tell me that, you know, back me up with something like that. Um, and then uh, Jane's... Um, shiny, let's be bad guys. Let's be bad guys. Uh, which is great Jane line. Um, I like the Mal line. I, I look out for me and mine. That don't include you unless I conjure it does. Mm -hmm. Now, they're going down into the bank, and the guy's like, hey, you look like you were part of the uh, the resistance. You know, you were a brown coat. You know, I can't believe uh, something or other. He's like, we're all just folk now. You know, everybody's the same. We're no more part of this Alliance brown coats thing. We're all just folk now. Stop, you know, let's stop trying to label it. I'm not living <laughs> in the past here. We're all just folk now. What about Zoe? Uh, at last, sir, we can retire and give up this life yeah. of crime. Yeah. The, the dry sarcasm there. And, and I think it's funny because it implies that, once again, Mal has not told his crew what's going on. They're all kind of flying in the dark, just trusting Mal that, yes, there's a payoff here. Although he clearly knows exactly where the switch is to get to the underground chamber. The, the sarcasm from Zoe, I think, tells us, yep, Mal's holding those cards close to his vest again. It's just what Mal does. Okay, so they grab the loot, they head out, and the Reavers chase them down. Of course, we already mentioned the guy who uh, gets, uh, you know, eaten. Shot, yeah. Uh, by the Reavers, and they, you know, it's a tough, tough ride, but they manage to get back into They do the barn swallow. so cool. Such a cool scene. Um, anyway, Rivers comment as, uh, you know, Simon's coming over to her. He's like, are you okay? Is everything all right? She's like, I, I swallowed a bug. <laughs> and, you know, not, nothing else is wrong in, in her life and in her world, but she swallowed a bug. Um, Kay Kaylee makes, comes running in. <laughs> well, she then makes another comment later on as the the story progresses. As you know, they mention the the reavers and whatnot. She's like, they they didn't lie down. They didn't, which lie down. is yeah. foreshadowing to what we're gonna find out about the people who just didn't lie down. They were the you know part of the ten percent who went crazy. Uh, Mal and Zoe have the discussion about whether or not. They should have left the guy behind. And, you know, Mal says to Zoe, What, I should have left the girl or you or Jane? Oh, Jane. <laughs> You're like, I should have left Jane. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they uh, they have a falling out. And uh, it's decided, you know what, they're, it's time for River and Simon to get off the boat. Uh, Mal, Mal isn't going to put up with it anymore from uh, Simon. So they uh, land on the next planet, and they head on down to what I assume is Serenity's uh, Moss Isley um, <laughs> um, station, where uh, this uh, a hall of brigands and where you know ne'er do wells get together to do business, and 
River goes nuts. Okay, a couple other things happened before that that I just wanted to mention. Uh, Jane is talking to uh, Kaylee as they're cleaning up the the, the bay, the cargo bay. Uh, I love the conversation that he has. You know, he lists all these reasons why he'd kill a man. He's like, I'd kill a man if he looked at me funny or if there was a woman involved or if I were getting paid to do it. Da, da, da. But eating people? Man, where'd that get fun? <laughs> uh, and then uh, probably, I don't know, just one of, the, one of the iconic lines in this movie that for some reason the way it's said just sticks in my head. And when I think of this movie, I think of Kaylee saying, t- uh, talking about how Shepard Book told her that Reavers are men who reached the a- edge of space, saw a vasty nothingness, and went bibbledy over it. The word nothingness, or no, sorry, the word vasty and the word bibbly in the same sentence, I think just, it's just such a, a fun turn of phrase, and the way she pronounces them is, is a lot of fun. Uh, Kaylee does tell the audience that Inara is gone. Mm-hmm. She mentions that, you know, oh, he's going to chase, Mal's going to chase us all away. The way he chased Simon River away, the way he chased Inara away. So apparently she did leave the ship at some point in, in, in their storyline. Uh, and as Simon and River are talking on, talking about leaving the ship, River tells, uh, mum, kind of mumbles to herself, to the audience, she's okay with them leaving now, where she, we, she wasn't, you know, in uh, objects in space. You know, she didn't want to leave. That was her home. She couldn't leave. Now she feels like she can leave because she's realized that she is a danger to the crew. So, you know, I, I'm too dangerous to them. I have to leave. Simon and I have to leave the ship. Um, we we have some some great lines in the conversation between Kaylee and Mal. Uh, I love the one, going on a year now, I ain't had nothing twixt oh, my nose. Oh, you don't need to bring that up. That does not help the storyline. Look, there was funny lines. It was funny. It was hilarious. And, and Mal's reaction to it was, he's like, I, I don't need to know that. <laughs> I thought that was really good. It was humorous. And then uh, you guys just uh, did an example. I mean, Joey, your river, and Peter, your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and then if I truly wanted someone bad enough, Mal says, wouldn't be a thing in the verse that could stop me from going to her door. Yeah, tell that to Anara. So I, I, I thought those were some some good lines out of that section that we skipped over there. So River beats everyone up, though. <laughs> river Tam beats up everyone. That it just <laughs> she clears that bar. Um, and, uh, everyone is so incredibly surprised and they just, they pick everyone, uh, they take them all back to the ship. They bring River and Simon back because they realize, okay, something's weird and we got to protect them now. So they're back under the protection of, of Mal. Um, and they decide they need to get their bearings straight. And so they're going to go to Mr. Universe, who is a new character that we've never met before, whom... I assume we would have eventually met, maybe, maybe. within the series. Probably would know. have been played by a different actor. Maybe, yeah. There's a really the, good at, chance of that. At the time, David Krumholtz was involved in Numbers. I don't know if he would have had time to do a second show. Um, anyway, his line is, can't stop the signal. Yep, which uh, kind of became the, the fans of Firefly catchphrase. Uh, shortly after the movie came out, you know, can't stop the signal. In fact, I think that's even a website, isn't it? Like I don't a, know. A Firefly fan site, I think, is can't stop the signal. I love the fruity Odie bar commercial. 
it's on the DVD as a special feature. The the whole entire commercial without any of the movie over top of it. It's oh, I hilarious. Say without any of the subliminal messaging behind no, it. No, no, I think the subliminal messaging is still there. <laughs> and whoever has been uh, programmed like River was is suddenly beating the crap out of everyone wherever they're at. The subliminal message says, you love Serenity. You will do a podcast about Firefly and Serenity. Uh, and unfortunately, we see some scenes where River is still... We get that she's still really not right, and, yeah. and I think she's recognizing it as well because her comment about bullet in the brain pan squish, yeah. uh, which is pretty disturbing. Like, think about if your brother or sister, your sibling, just said that to you. Uh, okay, Joey's looking. <laughs> he's got that fond look on his face. <laughs> like, Oh, well, how wonderful that would be to get rid of the crazies in my family. <laughs> so just to remind everybody, Joey's the normal one in his family. That's right. He I, really, really kind of is. I, I'm what's considered stable coming out of that environment. <laughs> uh, yeah, there there are some really disturbing things there in that, in that dialogue. Uh, I like where she's talking about how they showed me off like a dog. Old men covered in blood. It never touched them, but they're drowning in it. And then she says, you know, Miranda, you need to ask her about what's going on. And Simon's, am I talking to Miranda now? <laughs> and the look that Robert gives him is just full of scorn and derision. I thought that was just such a classic sibling moment there. She's like, come on. <laughs> yes. So the operative meets Inara. And uh, it's going to play in here a little bit pretty soon. Uh, where they, He's hoping to set a trap. Um, and we now have a reunion with Shepard, where they come down to Haven to help get them uh, just kind of rest for a little while, kind of hide uh, for a bit. And Shepard is trying to push across the point, look, Mal, you need to believe. And, of course, Mal kind of pushes back at that, and he's not ready to listen to it. And, unfortunately, it's going to take the death of Shepard to really push him into finally believing in something hard enough. Um, so Inara places a phone call, uh, a wave over to Mal, and everyone, of course, listens in on it. <laughs> which is... They're eating popcorn. <laughs> watching it eating popcorn. I thought that was hilarious. Pretty funny. And, uh, of course... Mal knows that it's uh, it's a trap because they didn't argue. They didn't have a fight. <laughs> there was no no argument whatsoever. Um, uh, okay, so he, he gives Zoe some commands as he's getting ready to go down on the, on the planet. He says, you know, if if you don't hear from me for a while, if something happens to me, you come and rescue me. Uh, you know, kind of in in contradiction to the expectation of you know <laughs> take the ship and get out of there. <laughs> He's like, you come and rescue me. And, and Zoe's reaction is, what? And risk my ship? <laughs> <laughs> like, in her mind, she's, she's already got it. It's hers now. <laughs> the whole thing's happened. So Mal sneaks in and uh, gets to Inara's pad. And uh, they start back up on their ways, which is arguing. The operative shows up. And so we have the, uh, the battle between... Uh, the first battle between Mal and the operative. The operative just 
lays him out all over the place. Now, if I remember correctly, first of all, Mal asks if he's armed. Yes. Yes. Or, well, the the operative volunteers that. Because I'm he's, yep. he's going on a diatribe like, look, I'm not here to, you know, waste everyone away. I'm not even armed. Good. And then Mal shoots him. And I said we were going to talk about this, right? Um, because... Uh, mal one of the first. one of the yeah mal shot first um, <laughs> like one of the oft quoted things about Firefly and it's you know and talking specifically about the heroism of Mal is when he's talking to Simon in another episode where he says look if I ever shoot you you'll be awake you'll be facing me and you'll be armed um, so I guess that only applies to, to Simon because yeah. he likes him <laughs> <laughs> but because we know I mean. That's a bad thing that Mal does. It's a cool thing that Mal does, but it is a bad thing. Yeah. From our perspective, though, it's kind of okay, though, right? Because we know that the operative is a totally bad guy. <laughs> right. Well, the, uh, this matter of perspective, I'm sure a lot of people think he's a great guy, at least in their universe. <laughs> we already talked about this already, right? Yeah, we don't ever get to see all of the children that the operative saved and about how you know all of those people that uh, you know he saved from that burning building, <laughs> and all of the charitable contributions that he made towards the you know the homeless societies. You of the joke audience. about it, but if he believes actually the way he believes, he would do all that. Especially if he's called upon to do it by the alliance. Yeah, go rescue these people. He would go and do it. You're right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you for reminding us that there needs to be perspective. Um. Okay. So. Mal, Mal has planned this whole thing all the way through, by the way. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but you know, the guy's like, oh, we'll trace your pulse beacon. Yeah, well, if that's the case, we're all going to die right here because here's the pulse beacon. And then later the operator's like, okay, we'll just trace their NAVSAT signal. Oh, they released seven different satellites that give <laughs> false NAVSAT signal trails. Mal has clearly planned this thing all the way through to the end. Those have to be expensive. Yeah. <laughs> That can't be cheap to just, you know, have all of these, you know, backup things. That's what they bought with the laser gun <laughs> proceeds. Yeah. Good. Okay. That's fair. I'll, I'll believe that then. <laughs> um, so, I, I next write down, uh, there's a lot of bravado on the ship. It just seems like everything is just amped up so high. There doesn't feel like there's any normal conversation is that just because this isn't normal times we're dealing with here? This is just... Everything's so weird and wacky and rough. And this is just how people react in those situations. I don't know. I tend to think that it, what we're seeing is the... The side effect of having Inara and Book be gone from the ship for so long. They were kind of the ones that would pull people back down to Earth a little bit. We have a bunch of personalities. Uh, Wash is another one, but Wash isn't strong enough, isn't forceful enough of a person to interject himself the way Inara and Book did sometimes to bring people down and say, oh, you know what, let's all calm down, let's, let's back this up a little bit and to provide more, maybe more of that steady guiding influence rather than, oh, I'm 100% I'm in reactive mode and, and that's the way I operate all the time. You rolled your eyes, though. I don't think you believe me. You don't agree? I saw a lot of bravado in a lot of the other episodes that we saw. Okay. But, I don't know. I don't I don't even remember 
why I wrote that down. Like, there's no scene attached to it that I can point to and say, yeah, yeah, right there, when they do that thing. <laughs> That's totally what I was getting at. I, I don't even have that. Um, anyway, River dreams, and she finally figures out what Miranda is. Figures out that it's the planet. I really, really enjoyed that hallucination slash dream that she has because we see her outside looking at the pad you know in at the schoolyard sort of thing and you know you can just see behind all of the you know whatever the is on that ipad that they're working on the silhouette of some of a planet behind then you twist around and you're at the planet level and you're looking back up and you can see river within the little window yeah. of the you know the mm -hmm. ipad or whatever it is that device and i thought what a cool way to show that scene. Yeah, once again, cinematographer is just amazing in this. Which is funny because if you go look him up on IMDb, he did a bunch of movies that... It just it just makes me wonder, how did Joss Whedon go, you know what, I'm going to pick this guy because his other movies are like rom-coms and stuff. Hmm. Like where did you know Joss Whedon get the sense of, hey, this is the guy that I really need to, to have do the cinematography here. And, and he just you know blew the doors off the thing. So, they suddenly realize, oh crap, um, all of our people need to be protected because they're going to be going after them now. And so they head over, they, or no, they go back to Haven. Yes. Then they see the destruction. Then they, so they're like, oh crap, we've got to go and you know, tell the rest of the yeah, people. And, and Shepard had warned him, he'll come at you where you're weak. He'll come yeah. at you sideways. So Haven is destroyed. Shepard is dying. And he has this comment to Mal. I don't care what you believe. Just believe. I think to the point that we've all probably made before, Mal sometimes seems a little aimless. It's showing right there on John's oh, wow. iPad it's, yeah, right we're, now. Literally the exact scene we're talking about. We should about. have done just the movie commentary because <laughs> we're right with the movie right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, Anyway, he wants him to believe in something. Get some convictions that is more than just, hey, look, I'm just looking out for me and my own. Yeah. There needs to be something more. And as it sometimes happens, this is the galvanizing thing that is that Mal needs to kick him to step up a level and, and be someone who can believe in something. You know, we even heard Mal say it in his own words just a few minutes ago as he was talking to Inara. Where he said, I, when the wind blows north, I go north. It may not be the way to lead, but when I lead, these people have to follow. And, and you know, he, he specifically told us, I don't have a direction. You know, he, he also said it in the, in the show. The only time I can see a path is when I'm so far, you know, so far down in the forest or whatever. I don't know if you remember the, the line I'm talking about, but, he, you know, they said, oh, we are way off in the woods now. And he's like, oh, yeah, I like things that way because that's the only time I can see a path. Worst uh, advice Shepherd Book has ever given, in my opinion. Just, really? just believe in something. I think I expressed myself a little earlier that I don't care for that. You can, I'd rather you believed in nothing than the opposite of what you should believe. Um, 
you know, there are a few good examples of people who stick to their beliefs. Um, Hitler, maybe. Uh, uh, Osama bin Laden, you know, Pol Pot. I mean, they stuck to what they believe, and we got to respect them for it. I, I don't think you should believe in anything. It should be something very, very important. And if you pick the wrong way, I'd rather you pick no way. It's a very Jedi mindset. Thank you. Well, um, it's tough for me to argue against a dying man, but uh, <laughs> your uh, your words... Last word. Really, I got the last word on this one. You, yeah. Your words ring true on that? You hear that, Shepherd Book? Hope you believe in heaven. I'm sure he does. <laughs> no, he doesn't no. have a retort. You right. win. Right, there's no heaven. Uh, yeah, you're, you're not wrong at all there. Uh, but... I think there is something, a little bit, to to that belief. Let's move on. We have uh, the operative come on the screen, and he he says, "If uh, if you're chasing your quarry, give them no ground to go to mm-hmm. at all." Which I would think we would all look at and say, "Very Sun Tzu." That's genius. Yeah. You know, that's the right way to fight things. But in this case, it's despicable. It's deplorable. He's just going off there and killing these, you know, I hate to call them innocents because I'm (laughs) certain that some of them are in no way, shape, or form innocent. Although they are innocent in the sense that they didn't do anything to the operative. And they don't necessarily deserve what they get from the operative, which is death. Um would have been nice to have seen Badger get killed here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little bit. I don't... Or Nishka. Yeah. That'd be okay. But I guess maybe not Nishka because he was pure evil completely <laughs> out there. Anyway. There, you know, there, there's some interesting stuff in that dialogue there. Uh, especially where the operative tells about, I believe in something greater than myself. A, wor- a better world. A world without sin. I'm not going to live there. There's no place for me there any more than there is for you, Malcolm. I'm a monster. What I do is evil. I have no illusions about it, but it must be done. I don't believe that. I don't believe it must be done that way. Again, I claim that that's Satan's lie, that you know we have to force everyone into doing it our way because we're the ones sure. in charge. Yeah, I see your point. Well, it helps that an evil person says that, though. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Um, Okay, so Mal goes a little over the edge here at this point. He believes in something now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, Pretty scary moment when he's shouting at everyone, okay, start lashing these dead bodies to the thing. Uh, We're going to make our ship look like a reaver. And everyone's like, "Uh, that's going over the edge. And he pulls his gun out. And everybody just kind of silently inhales. Uh oh. <laughs> I kind of was a little jealous of Mal that he could just do that because there's been plenty of times at my work where I wish I could just pull the gun out. You know, figuratively, <laughs> not really. I don't actually own a gun, but just be able to pull the gun well, out and say, you That's solvable. <laughs> you do what I say, or you can stay on this planet. You should get a taser for work. <laughs> <laughs> a cattle prod, maybe. I, yeah. uh, I wonder... I, I know you have to go through some classes, or you have to get a permit to do a taser, 
But a cattle prod, I wonder if that's... You just go buy it at, at the IFA like, or the Cal Ranch. Yeah, yeah it's a low, it's got to be a lower voltage, so it's not going to, like, Oh, it's it's still people. unpleasant. Yeah, yeah. You will get to work. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> I'm just thinking... Pete, KSL's next report. Pete Nash, tech expert. Uh, Shocks his employees. <laughs> poking people with a cattle prod. <laughs> Look, they just weren't being productive enough. And I noticed that it works with the cows. <laughs> uh, okay, so they are headed through Reaver Space. And apparently there's this huge, in this one particular area, is this huge gathering of Reavers. And we can't which, go around. Why no one's ever mentioned this before? Oh, yeah. Yeah, once again, we have this, okay, space is flat. We can't fly around them. That's not possible. But why has no one ever noticed that there's this just huge edge where all of the Reaver ships seem, seem to, to be yeah. gathered at? Okay, whatever, I guess. Reaver clan family reunion. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, maybe, maybe they do. They never mention... They, maybe they we kind just of, didn't get far enough in. Well, um, I mean, they may know where most of the Reavers are. So there's no need to mention that because no one's going to bother to go to where that big <laughs> gathering is. But when the when the Reavers do break off from that, that's when people are really freaked out about the Reavers. Because no one's... Everyone knows kind of where the Reavers are coming from, but and they're not going that direction. Interesting. Of course, when the... If, if, since we are on a, on a... In a solar system, I kind of wonder what that would be like as far as... Because sometimes... Some planets would be closer to other planets, depending on the, you know, what time of year. So this Reaver area is sort of moving as well. As like the closest planet gets closer and closer to this area, they're like, oh crap, this is the time of year when the Reavers come <laughs> harvesting. Right. Oh crap, let's go on holiday to this other planet. <laughs> every every planet has five seasons. <laughs> Reaver is one of those seasons. <laughs> All right, so they make it planet side to Miranda, um, and come to find out, it's completely habitable world, buildings all over the place, with huge cities, dead people everywhere. Yeah, just dead. And there's a planet that apparently had thirty million. Yep, thirty million. Thirty million people living on it, um, and just up and disappeared. No one knows about this planet at all for some reason, and. The mystery is, why are all of these dead people here? Um, and why and why are they dead? Yes, uh, I, I love the Chinese that River rattles off as she's falling to the ground in despair. She's just overcome with the experience of what happened to these people. I'm sure I'm going to butcher it, but Wo Shang Mayer Machine Bien Shoto. I will close my eyes and my I will close my ears and my heart. And I will be a stone. And she follows it with, please God, make me a stone. She doesn't want to feel. We know that she can't mm -hmm. not feel. She's begging, please, I just want to not feel this because it is such a horrifying thing what has happened here. All these people just laid down and stopped living. And, and that calls back to the quote that you mentioned earlier. Why wouldn't they just lay down? So, we come to find out what uh, the Alliance's dirty little secret really is. Pax 
Paxilon 589 something or other. Hydrochloric Paxilons? The, 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 the Pax, which is this thing that's supposed to control their aggression. Yes. And make them docile. Cow-like. Sheep-like. Sheep-like. Sheeple. Um, <laughs> and uh, so they end up finding the signal that they had been you know, tracking that they seem to have found that was still active. And we see... Harriet Hayes. Yep. Um, and, you know, she gives her final report before she is, I'm assuming, eaten or turned into one of the Reavers. Um, and it's pretty disturbing to think that a government would go that far to try and control its people. And then when they find out how terribly, terribly wrong it went cover it all up yeah and apparently 10 percent reacted to be more aggressive which means that there must there would be three million million reavers there were at some point now how many of those they just fell on each other well there are also don't forget reaver proselytes Yes. That, uh, you know have the the converts (laughs) now okay let's talk about it because i'm not can does is it established at this point in the movie that the reavers can turn people because it's so much becoming a reaver this is the big turnaround and this is calling way back to bushwhacked Uh and i wanted to talk about it then but we couldn't because we haven't gotten this far um it it seems like the drug is what makes people reavers so are the reavers going out and are they using some kind of psychology to turn people into reavers or are they administering the drug to people and 10% of the people they come across turn into reavers? Great question. Brandon kind of answered it a little bit last week. I want to maybe expound on it a little bit. It's It was a drug, an airborne thing that was administered to the people of Miranda. That's how they were infected with it i don't know whatever we want to call it i think there must be some sort of time period where the drug is no longer in force meaning it's not active anymore because it's everybody from serenity has gone down there they've breathed now the same air they're all fine yeah that nothing seems to have happened to them although i suppose there weren't 10 people so we didn't get to see that one person you know change you know in a couple of weeks because fortunately there it happened so fast so we don't know for certain so as long as only nine people do a thing yeah. that affects 10 percent of the population you're gonna be just fine yes that's how statistics works um so i tend to believe i don't think it's airborne anymore mm-hmm. but as we saw from uh that episode where a guy who was totally normal went over to the dark side. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's what I asked at that time. I thought as part of the Reaver raid, the Reavers somehow administered it to everybody. Everyone it affected. I don't know if I. I don't know if I should use the word negatively or so, positively. So just being in the presence of them somehow passes like some. I think that they're carriers. This, of it the, now. Is that what you're saying? No, no. I, okay. You think they actually have the drug? I think they actually have it, and they administer it. Um, and then anybody who doesn't freak out, they kill. Yeah, anybody who doesn't freak out, um, they kill. Um, they lie down, and so 
and and so as far as someone turning into a reaver and you know this is kind of far-fetched because they would have to bother to do that and, and be all organized but, but like the joker they are incredibly organized yeah it is very strange that i mean you said how many of them fell on each other it doesn't seem like they fall on each other it seems like there's some kind of weird reaver code because they're organized <laughs> enough to like have these like awesome ships that are better than everyone else's ships right right um yeah, I, I don't know. Here would be the one thing I can think of that I think belies your assertion. Mm-hmm. When they land on that planet where Mal and them are, they just start going, they just start yeah. going after yeah. people. That's true. There, there's no hesitation, no administration of packs to the populace. I mean, and, and I was going to address that. I, I think for that, I think that's their way of taking control. They use chaos to take control. And so we were just seeing the first stages. So that's the, the first stage. And that's why, like... That guy, that one guy who became a Reaver, um, he the it, the ship that they took over, it wasn't a ship of ten people. It was probably a ship of a hundred people, and uh, and most of those people were kind of taken out in that first stage. And then the people that are left over, those are the people they kind of experiment on to see if they could get more Reavers that mm. way. They that would make them a little bit more scarier. I, I in, yeah. in my book, yeah. if, if they if they had that calculating level to the point of, yeah, we figured out what it was that changed us. Now we're going to start changing other people to be more like us. Right. That seems a little bit more yeah. scary. And I, I suppose, and the thing is, I guess it, it's scary either way because okay. either they are doing it psychologically, or they are doing it the way that they that it was done to them. See, for me, it's far more disturbing to think that they're doing it without the drug, mm-hmm. because. That means that they have the science of human emotion down to the point where they can say, oh, we want to we want to make this guy a reaver. OK, here are exactly the evil and horrible, awful things we have to do in front of him to him to make him like us and, and to think that they would be that advanced mentally and still be as monstrous as they are. It's a pretty scary concept. Mm-hmm. Well, what I start to wonder is, okay, if they're that put together that they can clearly, you know, command ships, yeah, big ships, and they potentially are administering a drug, it seems like there might actually be a real Reaver society out there, which means, are they mating? Are there Reaver children that are born? <laughs> Do they come out as Reavers? Or, you know, once they come out, yes, they, they start mutilating face piercing. And, and, <laughs> You know, we didn't get to see any, you know, uh, Reaver children, you know, at right. all. But maybe what that's a disturbing what idea. That well, no, well, it's safe to say that they they do mate. In fact, usually they mate to death. From <laughs> what true. previous lines have been said. That's true. Um, and going back to, I I forgot to mention this when you, uh, speaking of getting mated to death. Um, <laughs> by the way, I was assuming <laughs> two Reavers were getting together. By the way, just right, right, and, and that's something we haven't, you know, like consensual reaver whatever they do <laughs> <All right. laughs> come on well, it seemed like they weren't attacking each other consensual yeah. reavering <laughs> yeah <laughs> no but uh going back to uh <laughs> um oh uh the the message that we get uh we we um it, it's it's horrible because uh what's her name um, river no, 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 no. Oh, okay. Harriet Hayes. Harriet. I wanted to say Hillary for some reason. <laughs> uh, you know, she gives this, like, gruesome thing of what's going on, but I, I'm really thankful for Joss Whedon in offsetting that by 
having Harriet Hayes be the person who gets it. <laughs> because I'm like, oh my gosh, that's horrible. Oh, no, it's Harriet Hayes. Okay. <laughs> oh, good. That's fine. Was this before or after? This was before or... Studio 60. <laughs> Studio 60, okay. Um, Foresight, to, I guess. To me, the thing that is so... That makes that recording so disturbing is, is River's reaction to it. I mean, we don't actually see anything in the recording that we see that, is, that justifies do. her reaction, the strength of her reaction. Clearly they do. But it's River out of all of them who I think sells the horrifying things that are going on in that holographic recording. I think that they did not do a good job on her throw up. Okay. Honestly. Okay. There was just a little splat. Yeah. I felt like you could have, you know, had a stomach full of bile. You know, it doesn't need to be like pea soup, you know, type amounts, but you know, from, it doesn't need uh, to be a hose coming out of the sleeve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what anyway. was that? Is that Saturday Night Live? It, I'm sure I, they've Life done it. Yeah, yeah. Lot, but I was thinking of the the horror movie uh, Poltergeist. No, not Poltergeist. Exorcist. The Exorcist. Yeah. Uh, that's what I was thinking about. Um. Okay, so we move on. They decide we need to get to Mr. Universe. He's pretty close. And conveniently, the operative is already there. And he tricks um, them into thinking that Mr. Universe is safe. As soon as Mr. Universe does it, he asks for his 30 pieces of silver and then gets stabbed. Goodbye, Mr. Universe. Um... So they decide we're going to get through the Reaver space. And as part of their, their way of tricking the, the Reavers into following them, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah. Mal is going to get up on the, the turret. The turret. And they shoot the, the ship that's following them. Which then everybody else is like, what? <laughs> Let's follow after this ship. As Reavers assemble. <laughs> um. So, I have a problem here, which is... Just one? They, they fly off, and they're, they're going through the... You know, headed towards Mr. Universe's planet. How does Mal get back into the ship? Because it seems to me like he's on top of it, and then they go to full burn. How does he get back inside the ship? Well, once they hit max speed, he would have the exact same inertia as the ship. And so he can just walk around on the surface just like they did in Objects in Space. So, I... The inertial... Once they hit I, their I, top I, speed, yeah, he would have the exact same inertial tendency as the ship itself. And so... In the relative frame of reference, the ship would be standing still to him. Okay, then if that's the case, how is he able to survive their leap from slow trawl to full burn? Because without he's, the aid of inertial dampeners, he, he's buckled into that thing. Up there. <laughs> he's buckled in. He couldn't possibly get squished <laughs> from the force. <laughs> I don't know what you want from me, man. <laughs> I, I just—it's one of those things that I look at and think. Okay, I just can't buy this really? part the, of it. See, I, 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 my biggest problem came much earlier. Why weren't the Reavers alarmed at the fact that, wait, a Reaver ship just landed on Miranda. We never go down there. Well, don't they, Joey? They've got to go back in for parts sometime. 
in Reaver society, they may have more freedom than we have under alliance conditions. Yes, that's true. And maybe, maybe... Reavers don't ask questions. That's the best thing about them. Maybe With other Reavers. I don't know. They, they make a pilgrimage every okay, so sure. often to the homeland right. of where it all started. <laughs> the Reaver home planet. We've got... It's funny. This, this movie brings up so many questions about the Reavers. It's kind of good questions because we could... We could talk for three hours just breaking down every aspect of Reaver society. How it like makes sense with what we know about Reavers. All right, fan fiction. Everybody, you, we'll, we'll hand out assignments at the end of the podcast. Maybe that can be the next trophy that we actually work up. We'll give out to the best fan fiction explaining all of Reaver society. And remember, folks, fan fiction is just a code word for slash, slash fiction. fiction. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Uh, there's two great lines in here. Uh, Mal, I aim to misbehave. Mm-hmm. And Jane, Shepherd Book used to tell me, if you can't do something smart, do something right. <laughs> okay, so they're heading off, and the Reaver Horde is behind them. And it's funny to see this from the operative's point of view. The ship comes flying through the cr- cloud, and the the operative's like... <laughs> Can't believe these guys. Not even changing course. Oh, man. And all of a sudden, (laughs) this massive horde of ships comes flying through. And just the panic on his face. Because he's clearly dealt with Reavers before. And he's like, fire! Fire! Why Why are you shooting? (laughs) (laughs) And then we get to see a really cool, what I thought was a really cool battle scene between all of those Space battles, yeah. I thought that was fun. Mm. Um, the thing I missed from from the Babylon Five point of view is, capital ships have their battles at a distance. They don't do a lot of close in fighting. They're not good at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the Reavers have their own versions of those really, really big ships. Uh, what I'm saying is, we see a whole just... lot of what's way too close in fighting for the size of the ships, in my opinion, that we're seeing here. It's my thought that their their whole thought was, let's just ram them. Let's just plow through them because that's what we do. The Reavers had some star destroyers in their in their fleet. It looked like, and there was there were some big things there. Uh, so anyway, the the battle's happening. Um, the operative jumps into his little turbo thing to escape you know, pod. Escape. The uh, um, Serenity is going down. Finally, gets into atmosphere. But they're still being chased by something that is shooting what I'm going to say is one of the coolest weapons around. <laughs> that thing just looked evil and sinister. So, so and the way it sounded. Boing. So here, here's what I thought of when I watched this. I mean, obviously I didn't think of this back then. But as I watched this the other night, I thought back to our conversation, Pete. About firing energy weapons in <laughs> space, and how you're like, your reaction would be like, ah, what was that? <laughs> we just, where the hell did that come from? What's going on? Shields up! Shields up! And meanwhile, it's fired 27 light years away by your grandfather. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good memory, Joey. Um, okay, so they're going down. They're hit by that weapon which apparently is an EMP uh, type of weapon because it just nukes all of the the electrical controls within the ship they're all flying down we have the wonderful quote by poor faded wash 
I am a leaf on the wind. Watch how I soar. Uh, I like when he's the second time he's like, I'm a leaf on the wind. And I was like, what does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) I'm a leaf. Uh, I'm fine. You know, like as as he's getting asked, you know, how are we doing? I loved watching poor Jane as Mal says, go get everybody, uh, you know, buckled in. He is just getting flopped around all over the place. And he's the flight attendant checking uh, everybody's yes. seatbelt. <laughs> I just thought it was so hilarious to watch poor Jane yeah. just get tossed about like a rag doll. Because if anybody's going to be able to handle it, it's probably Jane. Yep. You know, physically anyway. And then one of the one of the most just truly painful things to ever see on a science fiction movie I put this right up there with the 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 destruction of the Enterprise D. Watching Serenity bounce on that tarmac, oh yeah, and then scraping to a stop. Mm-hmm. Just I, when I went to watch this movie with you guys, I was just I was just cringing. I was like, no, not Serenity. <laughs> you did it to the Enterprise D. You did it to Serenity. So apparently, the key is don't fall in love with the spaceship. They're going to destroy it. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, we have. Uh, Watch died as yep. he gives that last. I am a leaf on the wind. wind. Watch how I. <laughs> <laughs> so when I, when I went and saw this, everybody reacted like. <gasps> so what? Curtis had already seen it somehow, uh, because when, when we got there, well, when we got to this scene, and I like, you know, I reacted. In fact, I think I even covered my hand, my mouth with my hand to like, oh my gosh, and I turned and looked. Curtis was just watching me. He wasn't even looking at the movie screen. He'd just been watching me to see how I reacted to the death of That's Wash. Creepy. <laughs> like I look over and Curtis is just glaring at me. I'm like Why didn't you tell me that? Oh, that's what it was. It's because I had been begging him to spoil it. I was I had been begging him going into the movie. I'm like, please you gotta tell me something. And he's like, No, there's nothing really to tell. It's just like another episode. <laughs> And then he waited the whole movie to see how I'd react to that part. That's how he gets back at you for calling him a communist for all these years. Why would he be offended by you calling him a communist? I don't know. Uh, Okay, Wash dying, though. I, I hate Joss Whedon for killing Wash. I hate Joss Whedon, and it's such an example of um, using death appropriately because... The fact that I hate Joss Whedon for killing Wash means that it, this was an impactful death. Yes. Um, and it it kind it almost means more in this death that it the death within in the context doesn't mean anything at all uh, because we are so used to seeing like someone we care about if they die they do it heroically it was saving somebody it was doing something and and Wash he did just save people but. It was after all of it's that. It's in the lull. It, it's it's in this lull, and and so to completely blindside us like that is incredibly cruel and more effective than anything else. And it's it's almost like a life lesson. It's like, hey, we're not all going to die um, in the movies. The music's not going to be playing. <laughs> it's not going to be in slow motion. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it, we're not going to see it coming when it happens. And uh, especially like in their line of work. And it's just, uh, I hate Joss Whedon for it. I, I'm glad you good. bring that up. I wasn't planning to, but I'm glad you did because I don't think that anybody else from that crew, you have the reaction about them dying more than Wash. I don't think. 
Maybe Kaylee. Maybe, yeah, because she is so good. Yeah. There's nothing seems to be bad about her. Yeah. The, the thing that... The, the thing that I thought of was I watched this this time around. Uh, it, it's almost kind of chiasmatic here in the way that Joss plays on our expectation that, okay, everyone's going to make it through this scene alive. We're in this moment, this lull, this peaceful, okay, we just, we can take a breath. The whole audience can, can inhale now. We've made it through that tense, tense action scene. Bam, someone's dead. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's almost, a, uh, it plays on, in the episode Serenity, when we're all, as an audience, convinced Kaylee is dead. Yeah. And he runs in the room to find she's perfectly fine. She's alive. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, he, he's doing that same, it's the same trick played in the opposite way. Yeah. So that yeah. same playing on the expectation of the audience and then just totally blindsiding us. Very, very well done. I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> You're right to hate him, John, and that's okay. Uh, so we have the final stand, uh, where they're, you know, they've boxed him in, and uh, Mal's going to go run off, and he's going to load up. But he uh, should have run off right away. He should not have stayed to help him prepare. Oh, he moved a couple of crates, and he got <laughs> in an elevator. Um, and I, then, love, I love Inara's bow, by the way. I don't know if you noticed. She's got, like, I'm watching, I'm like, what is that bit. huge red thing she's holding? It was like the bow in, like, this protective case, and she pulls it out of the case. And, yeah, apparently that's, like, the weapon of... Of uh, companions. companions is the bow. It's like a Chewbacca it's, kind of thing. It's weird. <laughs> I just find it odd that in this world of uh, energy weapons and regular weapons, yep, we're going to pull back to the bow. We've, we've still got that. That's the old standby. <laughs> probably you know, weirder good, that... The, good old bow. Nothing beats bow. Yeah. <laughs> but technically, it's probably weirder that the that the operative goes around carrying a sword. He's got a, He's the the evil bad guy though. He's mm-hmm. got to have his his cool mark. Yeah. Um. Okay. So final stand. Um. I think everyone ends up getting shot. Um. Not River. Not River. You're right. Absolutely. And Mal gets stabbed and he gets electrocuted, but I don't think he gets shot. <laughs> um. He gets shot at. Because the the uh, the operative shoots him with something. I think it's he's that's a, it's like a taser thing. Oh, is it okay? Okay, good, good. Glad you point that out. Um, anyway, he then has, I think, a really awesome set of scenes. Like that whole set of action scenes with them fighting the the reavers, mm-hmm. and then Mal also going up against the operative. I think incredibly well choreographed and <laughs> you know spliced into. To cut away at the right moments to go back and forth between those two stories, which are apparently happening at the same time. Yeah, I like the, uh, the you know we have this moment of Kaylee and she's just in despair, and she's just you know what I, I didn't want to die like this. And the thing that turns her around is basically Simon saying, oh, "I wish I would have slept with you." And at that point, she's like, "Oh hey, I, I think I want to live. I'm not going to give up here. I'm going to fight through this." I, I thought that was just a great way for that character of Kaylee. To get through that moment of despondence that she was facing. It's very much in keeping with, with the character of Kaylee. If, if I were those two characters, though, I probably would have skipped the fighting. Considering... <laughs> Just gone down the, the hallway a little bit? Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, we probably won't survive this. I don't really yeah. like these it's odds. Like, you know, you, honestly, you could say, yeah, really, we're just going to get in your guys' way anyway. <laughs> we're, you know, we're not If anybody gets shot, we'll be back here. 
and it, I don't know if they're if if they're uh, crazy enough, then the Reavers might as- mistake them for other Reavers. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Oh, okay. Uh, Mal outdraws the operative. It has a great moment where they they both have their hands near their guns, and you have a a good old fashioned gunslinger draw, and Mal clearly outdraws him by quite a ways. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, so then, then Zoe gets sliced up. Did she get shot? I think she just got cut. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but she gets sliced up, and they put this bandage foam on her. I thought, Boy, that's a great idea. Yeah. I hope we actually come up with that. What a great... I think we kind of already have something kind of like that. Not to the effect that it could, you know, you could get cut down to your spine... And then still keep going because of this stuff. But I, th- I think we have some, you know, dermal bonders uh, nowadays. Well, I know super glue can be used that way. But sure. the fact that it's a foam and he just kind of puts it in there and it just fills up the gap and, and everything's good. That, <laughs> I thought that was thing, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so I don't think we need to go through every, you know, punch and, and bullet, whatnot. But suffice it to say, the good guys win. Yay. Um, you know, Mal manages because of the war that he went through, um, has that cluster of nerves no longer in the special spot it needs to be in for the operative. And he's able to win. He, he puts out the signal, uh, or I should say he puts the, he allows the signal to go out to the, the, the verse and, uh, and be able to be seen by everybody. So they, you know, a world without sin, um, is what he's hoping to to put across there, and the operative loses. Yeah, he loses. And meanwhile, River comes out of her funk or her whatever moment she's having, and tells Simon, "You've always protected me. Now it's my turn." Yeah, and goes into full awesome River Tam mode. I, this is like my favorite scene in this movie, where she's just. She's locked in that room, and Reavers are just constantly pouring in, and she proceeds to beat the living daylights out of every single one of them. That is literally the epitome of hack and slash, (laughs) is what that woman did, and uh, so cool to to see that. Anyway, um, gets to the end, the Alliance people show up, and uh, the operative says, no, no, stand down, don't kill him. It's It's, too late. It's done. Damage is done. uh, There's nothing more we can do here. Um, what I really loved in all of that is what Jane says as, you know, it's at the very end, they're like, okay, we're, there's a really good chance. We're, we're basically all going to die here. And he says to Zoe, you suppose he got through and I want to believe that there's (laughs) that little glimmer of hope, you know, that got planted down there in Jane's heart that, you know, he's slowly growing. Becoming a real boy, <laughs> so to speak, uh, because that that's a real meaningful type of question. You know, they put everything on the line in this position, and that's a real thing to say. Was my sacrifice for something? Yeah. Was it enough? Did we manage to accomplish what we were trying to accomplish? See, I thought for sure you were going to go for the line. In no. response to whether or not they have they're out of bullets, I thought no. that was where you were headed. No. <laughs> um. Anyway, that that's all I really have. Uh, when, oh, oh, sorry. When Mal comes back from the fight, mm-hmm. they have some close-up shots of his face. I love the makeup that they do on him. 
Not only does his face look absolutely mangled, like he had the crud beat out of him, but if you look closely at his eye, it's bloody. Bloody. Yeah. Like the eyeball mm. itself mm. has this, you know, right around the, mm -hmm. the pupil has this blood all around it. I thought, bravo mm -hmm. to the guy, to the makeup people who managed to pull that off because it's awesome. It but, looks fantastic. More kudos to... Uh... Nathan Fillion on that one because I don't know how hard it is to put makeup on an eye if you're not the person. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that would suck most of all. Like, oh yeah, no, we're just gonna put this eyeball makeup on you. Go ahead and just kind of try to open your eyes without blinking. <laughs> Which I would imagine is probably just a contact that they put over the top of the eye. Oh yeah, maybe. You know the the moment where Mal ha has asked Zoe for a report. Where's River? The door is open, and there's where we're standing there with the, the two axes in our hands, and the Alliance troopers swarm in. You got, okay, the, the, the crew, they're all basically half dead at this point. River is the only thing standing between them and total death. That The tenseness of that moment, I think as a writer, I think I would have been tempted to stop the movie right there. <laughs> That's how you end, end the series <laughs> after all is said and done. I mean, I'm glad he didn't because there's some other good dialogue that takes place. But I think I would have been tempted to say, just fade to black right there <laughs> as, as River is getting ready to fight her way through all those Alliance soldiers. Um, but uh, the the highlight of the movie for me is, is Mal's conversation with River as they're flying away, as they're... Escaping the planet. I, I didn't care for the gravestones or anything. It doesn't mean anything to me. The his what he tells to River? Okay. I enjoy it. You gotta love your ship. Really? That's the meaningful thing I'm gonna walk away from. That it's all about love. Not just the ship. I mean the ship is is the object. It's the vehicle, literally. Just like just like TV shows are the vehicle for us to have a podcast. But really, is it watching TV shows that we wanted to do? That's not really what this is about. It's about... <laughs> really? I, I just thought that was an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying, though? I, 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 I think I the, the dialogue is not really about the ship. He's using the ship because he, he has a hard time telling people, I love you. He's talking about the ship because he can say, yeah, I love the ship. But what he really means is, I love the people that are in it. I love the family that we are creating here. Yeah, it just doesn't work for me. If it works for you, God bless. Okay. God bless. Looks like you have a listener comment there. Do. Okay. We're going to go with uh, listener Bob. He says, hi guys. SpongeBob and I are currently watching Serenity. I got to say one thing. The special effects are pretty ropey. It looks like they mix models with CGI and rear projection in the chase scene with the Reavers. It looks awful. On to the rest of the film. If I was watching this afresh uh, a before watching Firefly, I would really find Mal to be a cold-hearted ass. He is really horrible compared to the charming, funny, and swashbuckling captain he was in the series. Maybe it had something to do with Anara leaving. It really did look like those twins were a replacement for Badger, just not as good or fun. <laughs> One criticism is that it feels like a feature-length episode 
with more money spent, although I love the way Simon and River backstory is fleshed out and the history of the Reavers. I don't know if Whedon was overexcited to have this as his directorial debut, but I feel he went too far with some of the angles and shots he chose. It made the movie jarring and difficult to watch at times. Hmm. The operative is a cold and calculating villain. He is a very different beast to Mal. I get the feeling that he would have been a long-term villain in the show, much like early from the last episode. Oh, and he is British, so has to be bad in the true Hollywood convention. <laughs> it wouldn't be fair to finish this email without looking at the moral consequences of this movie. Is it right wanting to make everyone the same? Making them calm and lucid? Or better? Does human nature allow for this conditioning? I would say no. Regardless of conditioning, humans are destined to adapt. As you saw, the Reavers were a product of reacting negatively to the Pax virus and inducing aggression rather than suppressing it. I think as a society, we have managed to get some control on how we deal with aggressive tendencies within humans. Totally eradicating aggression and anger would take away emotions such as love and passion. Important emotions that make us human. Anyway, it's a more enjoyable film after watching Firefly. I would never tell anyone to watch it standalone, and the mythology is so much richer. I would give this a 7.5 for a movie rating and 6 for Western. <laughs> All the best to Bob. Uh, thanks very much, Bob. And uh, yeah, I, I appreciate you uh, writing in there and giving us your thoughts because I've never really heard someone give a negative review <laughs> of Firefly. Well, or, uh, sorry, of Serenity. It, well, it wasn't technically negative, but I, I was wondering... It wasn't overly praiseworthy. It is it would Praise do you guys agree at all with the special effects critiques there? I don't. I I guess the 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 chase scene the I can kind of see what he's talking about. I can kind yeah, I can kind of see. I mean, I thought it was more goofy that they literally had a little bar that latched like the mule <laughs> latched on I thought that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's literally you know roping up your horse to the hitching to, uh, post. To the hitching post. <laughs> it's like oh, good grief. That was goofy for me. But as far as the CGI on that scene, yeah, I can kind of see what they're talking about. But the rest of the movie, no. I, yeah, I, I, I'm. I think it's great. Me too. Wait, there was something else in there I wanted to say really quick. Would you like to look uh, over the email? Yeah, yeah. Let me look over it. Uh, Oh, um, I don't know if Whedon was overexcited to have this as his directorial debut. This movie was better than Avengers. That's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair. I uh... That's an opinion. Ooh. <laughs> I'm, I'm not disagreeing. I think that I would put them at pretty much the same level. I, mm. I, don't, I don't think he backtracked. I don't think he gained anything. They are enjoyable for different reasons, but... I think the reason is that this one is better, is why it's more enjoyable. <laughs> okay, that's fair. The, 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 the knock you have to have on the movie, well, I don't know. Well, we, we don't need to discuss that. Go ahead. 
Uh, Brainy Smurf says, Serenity now! <laughs> I should start off by saying that Joss is super proud of the moment when River is going through her first subliminal what-have-you what raucous. And then when Mal finally pulls his gun on her and they are in a Mexican standoff. In the commentary, Joss proudly declares this as a great Western moment. And it was. <sighs> Why do they gotta kill Book? Oh, for the sake of Mal's character development. <laughs> well, this is why Book is my favorite character. Because his devotion is what incites Mal to step up and stop running away. I really loved Book. He was humble, lacking in judgmentalness, and steadfast in his faith. And then his final words are the best. What he is saying is to just be so overabundant in super awesomeness that folk won't know what to make of you. They will just have to say, well, I didn't understand why, but he was awesome. I love how his act of martyrdom <laughs> is what finally sends Mal over the edge. This is also a good time to note what a great actor the dude who played Book is slash was. His final words are such a cliche, but as Joss observes, he plays it with such veracity. Quote, this is the one guy whom Mal truly trusts, close quote, as Joss states in the commentary. That's why Book is my favorite character, because he just sticks to his guns, and Mal is transformed by his way of being. Awesome. Favorite character. Another favorite character in this story is the op. I know that you dudes will illuminate the character of the operative, rightly so, because he is a fascinating creation. In fact, I believe the operative gets m almost as much character development as Mal. Apparently, the studio forced a baddie into the film, and this type of happenstance often results in some Joss' most compelling ideas. The operative is devout, as recounted by Inara. He, like Inara and Dr. Tam, is a perfect product of the Alliance and all its well-intended ideals. Josh states repeatedly that the Alliance is not a nefarious junta. It is a well-meaning monstrosity of centralized bureaucracy. Does this remind anyone of Trantor? Just like the Alliance, the operative is attempting to control something beyond his grasp. In a strange way, the operative is noble, sacrificing his own well-being for the sake of the people. Now get ready for the controversial question. How does the operative differ from the soldier who shot Osama bin Laden in the head? No one will ever question the value and gratitude we all feel for our nation's military. They stand on a wall for us to protect us. The operative is protecting the citizens of the Alliance. The valiant U.S. soldier was following orders. Orders that reflect a chain of command that requires devout respect. Orders that in the particular instance exceeded the traditional channels of justice and the right to a fair trial. The operative thinks he is killing River for the greater good, for the good of the Empire. 
the United States was responding to an unprecedented threat and their target was killed in cold blood. If anyone has not fast-forwarded yet, try to consider this philosophical comparison devoid of emotional bias. The operative will kill children by his own admission. Have women and children died as a result of U.S. war efforts in the past 67 years? Sure, we all try to follow a code, but so does the operative. And whether we are dropping a nuke, killing River Tam, or supervising the upheaval of another nation's sovereign government, the actions are, quote, justified. For they are conducted for the greater good. So in conclusion, it is hard to fault the operative for what he is doing. This continues to demonstrate the breadth of an amazing character and a very talented actor who plays him. All I can say is a quote that applies to both Osama's death and the deaths of Serenity from the Tao. Quote, Any act of war should be mourned as a loss. Close quote. Sci-Fi 9, TV 8, Western 7. Uh, to answer a question he asked in there, yes, it, it absolutely reminds me of Trantor, which is why... When I think about where where Firefly would have gone had it continued, I go back to some of the same tropes as what we saw developed in Asimov's Foundation series. Okay. Sean? Uh, my answer as far as the difference between the operative and the guy who shot it... Okay. Um, this is only opinion, and it's only my opinion. But... Uh, Osama Bin Laden was a really bad guy, and Malcolm Reynolds is a really awesome guy. <laughs> uh, now, and I and well I well summarized, <laughs> and I and I say that um, because it does go back to perspectives like we mentioned earlier. Um, maybe not everybody agrees that Mal is the good guy, and Osama Bin Laden is the bad guy. Um, there may be. I'm just going to throw out there. There may be a universal truth that. Yes, this one is good. This one is bad. And I have to say, you know, hey, the good guys kill the bad guys. That's pretty easy to say. But we need to get really, really close to that truth um, to make that kind of decision. Because both of them can be compared very easily. Um, and so if, if, if someone sees it the opposite way, hey, we got a case. We got a discussion. True. That's true. Uh, I appreciate everything that you wrote down there, Brandon. That was really, really well written. And uh, Joey? Yeah, I just... Obviously, I don't know the guy who shot Osama bin Laden. But I would hope, I can express the hope here, that the difference between the operative and the guy who that guy who pulled the trigger, that Navy SEAL or U.S. military man who killed Osama bin Laden, I hope that he is asking himself, why? Did I do the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? Are we in the right? The, the asking of that question, I think, is what gives us the chance to separate ourselves from the operative-like behavior, where he doesn't ask why. He just does what he's told blindly and absolutely to, to, because he has just put absolute faith and trust in these people, the, the parliament, and will do anything they ask him to. To make their wishes come true. Isn't that kind of the story of Jason Bourne? Uh, I didn't read all of the Bourne 
novels, but the Bourne movies themselves, at the end, you know, Jason Bourne is getting, you know, chased by this other operative, and he, you know, out of frustration, he yells at him, is like, do you even know why you're doing this? Why you're chasing me? Do you have an understanding and a reason why you're doing this? And the answer is no. I mean, he's just another guy who was just like Jason Bourne, who was given a command and told, go execute this. I am so grateful that I don't sit in that position to be the guy who is getting the order to say, go and execute this particular order. Because I would feel really conflicted about it because I would want to understand what's going on, like the reasoning behind it. I would have to feel good about myself on the inside. Now, here's, here's a horrifying thought. Isn't it a lot easier for the powers that be to, um, to hire someone who wouldn't ask that question? Mm-hmm. Well, all, all I was trying to get to is that in order for us to have the freedoms that we enjoy, at some point on a fairly regular basis, whether that's – by regular I mean periodic. You know, It happens over and over again throughout human history – where in order for humanity to have freedom and to have and to evolve and to grow, somebody has to make that hard decision. It's usually leads to some death. Somebody's going to die. I don't think that people dying, as much as I joke about it sometimes, I don't think that people dying is necessarily a good thing. But usually it is, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I just hope that the people who are put in the scenario to make those decisions are thinking about what they're doing, are considering their actions and and it's a lot of trust. It is. I, I and I and I understand that. And it's why I have the respect that I do for the military, I think I can say. It because I do trust them. I have to have that trust in them. Okay, you can trust the military personnel who are being given the orders, but I don't necessarily trust the people giving the orders. I would agree. Absolutely. I'm, I'm with you 100% on that. I'm saying I hope the guy who actually has the gun in his hand and is pulling the trigger is thinking about what he's doing. I hope he's not just a robot pulling the trigger. The, the, the trouble is I don't think he's being given all of the information and being said, okay, what do you want to do in this situation? We'd like you to go kill him. You're right. Are you okay with that? You're right. I, I don't think they're getting asked that at all. I don't think so either. I'm saying I think that the act of him thinking about what he's doing and questioning it is what gives him an opportunity to prevent himself from becoming the kind of monster that the operative is. He could still get a bad order and he could still do bad things. But I hope for his sake and for us as a, as a race's sake that at some level he's asking himself that question. I, as I've mentioned many times, I believe in God. I am so grateful that I don't have to judge all of the people yeah. throughout history who have had to make that decision and say, yep, totally okay with pulling this trigger. This is the right thing to do. This is totally okay because <laughs> at some level it may have been the wrong decision to make. I'm not going to sit there and judge them and say if it was right or wrong. I'm just truly grateful that I'm not the one who's going to be sitting in that judgment seat. Yeah, that's a good point. Amen for God. Um, do we want to give ratings at all? Yes. We Pete? love ratings. What am I giving a rating for? Science fiction. 
Uh, I'm going to give this a science sci-fi rating of like nine. Okay. I say nine. John? I'll also say like nine. <laughs> I give it a nine as well. Pete as a movie. Um, I don't think it's a ten. I think it's really, really good though. Um, and I'm going to say an eight. Okay. John? I, I think, to, to preface that, to say why, I think that they're... They did a good job of introducing all of the characters, but I love this movie so much because of the lead-up of all of the Firefly episodes. I love it that much more because of it. So that, that's why I only give okay. it an 8. You know what? I'm going to switch my movie to an 8 uh, because I forgot <clears throat> I forgot I was going to take away uh, an entire point for killing Wash. <laughs> That's a good. Re- that's a good reason to take away a point. It is. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll go. Uh, I'll go sci-fi eight. Sci-fi eight movie eight. Okay, thanks. <laughs> I was not following that there. That's okay. That's uh, why I'm here. You know, for a movie, I'm going to give it a nine. Like I said, I watched this with my wife, who had no exposure to Firefly prior to watching the movie, and who and doesn't like sci-fi. Doesn't generally like science fiction, and came out of it thinking it was a wonderful movie to the extent that she wanted to go home that night and start Firefly. Which I find odd, considering the fact of how much she loves Babylon Five. Babylon Five. I know, right? I, I keep telling her, I'm like, you know what? You actually like science fiction. You're just not willing to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like. <laughs> If you're in for Babylon 5, you're pretty much in for all of science fiction. That's hardcore. Fiction. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's hard science fiction, yeah. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of another episode of The Homestarmy Presents Trek West 5. We hope that you've learned something, had some laughs, and we always invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. Or you can tweet us at hashtag trekwest5, or call and leave us a voicemail at 801-788-4913. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And thanks for listening.